What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to a podcast about New York sports. Sam and Matt back at it again. We have a winner and a loser uh, from the local NFL slate. One team, uh, I guess, winning kind of against the grain, I'll say, where a lot of fans probably did not want them to win. And then the Jets, I, I can't, I have no comment for them. We're going to get right into them. Uh, Matt, other than having to watch that abysmal football game yesterday by the Jets, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing all right. It's kind of just how New York's been. I mean, the team we all wanted to win loses. The team we all wanted to lose, they find a way to win. So, you know, here we are yet again. It's it's unbelievable that that is, you know, of all the, the different storylines that you could have written about, you know, going into the season. And, oh, we have Aaron Rodgers and Daniel Jones. They just signed him to a big contract. We're now with Tim Boyle and Tommy DeVito, you know, leading these two teams in, in the middle of, you know, they're both in, in no no man's land, really. I mean, for, for the Giants, we'll obviously get more into that game. But for the Giants, you know, they, they win a game where, again, they maybe they just own the Commanders. I'm pretty sure I saw a stat that said Dable has, has yet to lose to the Commanders uh, in his coaching tenure. Uh, and sure, they win. Unbelievable win. I would I would bet that Tommy DeVito isn't on the roster next year. Uh, and, and it's just, you know, they, they lessen their pick or they worsen their pick. And uh, it's just ugly. And then for the Jets, I guess this is where we're going to start. The Jets lose 32 to six in some might call it a football game. I I call it an absolute embarrassment to the organization and an embarrassment to the fan base, really, on the same week that they decide to uh, spike the prices for season ticket holders up, I believe, 25 percent from all things that I, I read online. What more can you say? Yeah, not only that, we have, we have a friend who said that they were already charged for next season, like in the midst of the Jets kind of blowing this season away. Um, I don't really know what to say. It was another one of those games where it's tough to watch. Um, I guess the Jets might consider this a win because they were able to fall into the end zone for the first time in three weeks. Yippee. Um, and they finally, finally make the change at quarterback. But, you know, not even just given the limited um, – time we saw Tim Boyle yesterday I just don't think this change matters regardless for a multitude of reasons now it was it was a plus to see Tim Boyle kind of be able to pick up pressures and kind of know where to go with the ball things we hadn't seen from Zach Wilson this whole season and the first you know two and a half quarters of this game but there's still so many issues offensively like when you can't block anyone and as great as Garrett Wilson is you know he's going to be your wide receiver one the Bills kind of just figured out that he doesn't handle press coverage very well. So when you can't block anyone, you can't get Garrett Wilson open. I mean, who's your wide receiver to? Alan Lazard? Give me a break. Um, you know, I, I I didn't really expect anything yesterday at Tim Boyle, and I don't really expect anything moving forward uh, from anyone but Zach Wilson, really. And it's not to that's not to you know sort of defend Zach Wilson. It's just I think this is more broken than we ever thought it was. Yeah, and just real quick on Alan Lazard. I know I sent this yesterday, but. Alan Lazard has dropped 17% of his targets. So not necessarily like even a, a catchable ball, not necessarily, you know, 17% of the balls that hit his hands, just 17% of his targets he has dropped. And it's just been, you can, you know, you can think of him as a Rogers guy. We, we've said, and we, we've said that Randall Cobb also a Rogers guy, but man, it's just, he's, he's the one that kind of is a culmination of so many, you know, so many things that, you know, Rogers obviously getting hurt is, is the forefront of all of this, but 
he's the obvious or most blatant ripple effect that I see, you know, outside of obviously Zach Wilson having to play. And now, you know, the, the conversations of, well, how don't you have a backup, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, just to watch Alan Lazard and, you know, he's fully healthy. He, this is what he is. He's going to be here for the next couple of years. Uh, it's just, it just leaves this bad taste in your mouth. Every time I see him, at least for me, every time I see him on the field, I just get a bad taste in my mouth. It's just like this guy again, like, you know, he's, he's blocking younger guys playing time. He's the, they've, uh, again, they've commanded so much, not so much money to him, but a significant amount of money to him where he, he should be producing, you know, he should have 17% of his targets should be touchdowns, not drops. Right. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, it's, it, you know, he's just a culmination of just how bad this jet season has, has become. Uh, they we find watched themselves... Zach Wilson, you know, Al Lazard be damned. We watched Zach Wilson not complete a pass to a wide receiver. Uh, yeah. You know, in, in the entire time that he played yesterday. Yeah. I, I went back and, and watched, you know, obviously I, wa- I was watching the game yesterday, but I went back and kind of watched the condensed game. Like, like I always do. And, you know, just watching Zach Wilson, it's almost like he, I don't even know if it's like a, he's going like against the game plan per se, but like he, he it's almost like they, they call a play in the huddle and immediately when he calls hike, he's looking for a way to to like not make a mistake that is on him. Like if he if he veers away from the play and and can can take a sack and we can kind of look at the offensive line and say, well, wow, you let that guy through. I think Zach Wilson like almost is like okay with that and like you know not completing a wide receiver a catch uh, or a pass to a wide receiver and having check down after check down incompletion after incompletion. There was a series yesterday where Zach Wilson he's scrambling out of the pocket actually does a great job breaking down the pocket and getting outside the pocket, which I think he's actually not bad at. But he gets out of the pocket, throws it to Garrett Wilson who's not even looking at him, almost is intercepted, and then the next ball he telegraphs a pass right to the Bills defender for an interception. It was almost like he was throwing to the other team. And I think it's at this point, it's we've said this before. I remember even saying this about Sam Darnold, you know, he's seeing ghosts, that whole thing. But I mean, he's just, I don't, I can't tell you what he's seeing. I'm not, I'm not (laughs) no quarterback novice, but, or, or a quarterback whisperer, but just watching some of these throws that he's making and just watching him in the pocket. I don't understand what he's looking at. Yeah, there was a play yesterday where he kind of just seemed to throw it away just for the sake of throwing it away. Like almost it's been drilled into the head of Zach Wilson and everyone else on the offense that, you know, our goal here is to just play safe. Like we're we're really not looking to make plays. We're not capable. Let's just keep it safe. And and it's I mean, they can't produce anything. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, we always say that uh, well, I think a couple of weeks ago, even verbatim, we said when the Jets get into the red zone. They play don't turn don't turn the ball over football. And that's not how you that's not how the NFL operates nowadays. But now I think Zach Wilson's it's so much in his head and so much, uh, you know, not even it's it's really incomprehensible. What some of the stuff that he does that it's almost like from the second Zach Wilson is on the field, he oh, the only he doesn't play football to score. He plays football not to turn the ball over, but he yeah. still does turn the ball over. Yep. Yeah, I think that so, that's that's just what's been preached since. You know, the moment he had to take the field again was we could still be okay. We still have Brees Hall. You know, we, we could still compete, but just don't turn the ball over. I feel like that's the entire theme of the Jet season is just don't turn the ball over, but they're still turning the ball over and we haven't seen any points. Yeah. And, and so, so Wilson yesterday finishes the game uh, seven for 15, 81 yards, uh, a touchdown and an interception, a 3.8 QBR. How about that? Sacked five times for 30 yards. 
Um, the the best pass in the game yesterday was by the punter. Well, yeah, he's your best player, so yeah, and that's why when as I we made fun of it a couple of weeks ago, but ironically enough, well, I, I was at the game when they they announced their their starting defense or whatever, and they included Thomas Morstead as one of their you know keynote star players of the team yeah. to be announced, and it's almost comical. I wouldn't be surprised if they're selling jerseys there. I'd I'd wear a Thomas Morset jersey for sure. I would too. I mean, if if I have I unfortunately have a Zach Wilson jersey. If Thomas Morset were to change his number to number two, uh, when when the Zach Wilson era is officially over, which I, I mean, I kind of brought up half joking, but also half not joking that the Jets should just they should just cut Zach Wilson. Like why why even bother anymore? Just dress Simeon as the backup and kind of don't even feel tempted to play him. But, you know, because because this week, uh. If Zach Wilson's the backup, and God forbid Tim Boyle gets hurt, Zach Wilson's going right back in. You know that, right? Yeah, I guess. But at, at that point, does that really even hurt anyone? Like, if Zach Wilson has to go back in there, does it really even matter? Like, when we all know the season's over, and we all know he's not coming back next season, does it really matter if he has to play again, you know? I mean, I guess not. But but then, at that point, what, like, why not just see what you have in Simeon? Yeah, no, I agree with you, but I, I just don't see them cutting him. I'm not sure why. Um, yeah. But I, I think we all said, you know, the second that you bench Zach Wilson, you probably lose him for good. And I think that's that's what's happened here. Yeah, and then and as for the other side of the ball, I'll be honest, I thought there was a lot of dumb plays by the defense yesterday. Again, they're on the field for 95% of the game most of the time. And against against a team like the Bills that – Look, you know, looking looking at them, they fire their offensive coordinator. They're obviously in a position where you know we can't lose to the Jets again. We can't lose to the Jets at home. They're five, they were five and five going to that game. I think a lot of people would agree that the Bills are a lot better than a five and five team. Uh, they're now six and five, obviously, but they put up thirty two points. You know, all the talk about the Jets' vaunted defense and you know giving quarterbacks fits, which they did for sure. I think I think Josh Allen kind of took that to heart yesterday. He finishes 20 of 32, three touchdowns, an interception, but an interception that was a, a Hail Mary at the end of the first half, uh, kind of a little bit of a misleading stat there. Only sacked once. Uh, he's got a, a 108.2 rating. I mean, he, he, was, he was on yesterday. D- Josh Allen was on against the Jets defense, and the Jets defense just found ways to have stupid penalty after stupid penalty after stupid play after stupid play, and there was just nothing good. Yeah, I mean, talk about stupid plays. I mean, is there any reason that Sauce Gardner has to suplex Stefan Diggs? Is there any reason? You've locked him up all game. He was a non-factor. You have to suplex him? Yeah. Uh, Stephon, you're right. Stefan Diggs, four catches, 27 yards. And, you know, he Gardner's having a great game. But there, there's just – there's so many stupid plays that – that even just like you know, even the the what was an eighty one yard pass to uh, Khalil. Yeah, Shakir, that was a Madden play. To uh, that was ridiculous. Yeah, Khalil Shakir. That looked like Madden. And then the Jets will turn around and tell you, you know, we think we're in the same breath as the eighty five Bears. I don't know. And then the Bills also tortured you with uh, Jet legend Ty Johnson. So that was a lot of fun too. Yeah, that that was that was very funny. Honestly, honestly, they that would probably be that's the the. Uh, the comedy side of that game, honestly, that that happened. And he actually, I would venture to guess that that might've been Ty Johnson's first game this entire season. Uh, and he it's probably the best it, game of his career too. It, it, it wasn't, but he, had, he no. had one rush against the Broncos. And that was the only other stat he had recorded. He goes, 
Uh, he scores a touchdown yesterday, three catches, 47 yards and a touchdown, and then three carries on the ground as well. You know, insignificant, but Ty Johnson would have been the Jets' leading receiver. Yeah, well, yeah. Or behind behind Brees Hall, leading, yeah, behind Brees Hall. In terms of just wideouts, I think I was the Jets' leading receiver, right? Because you have Garrett Wilson with negative one. Did anyone else catch a pass? Uh, Xavier Gibson was one for seven. Okay, all right. So uh, I guess that's uh, from Tim Boyle at the end of the game there. All right, so, so I'm, I'm the wide receiver, too, over there. You and Alan Lazard both earned your paychecks yesterday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very much so. But, but yeah, man, it's it's really ugly. Um, as for Tim Boyle, obviously, look, if, if you want to put on your, you know, your, your, your smiley jet face and really kind of look forward, let's just hope that Tim Boyle, who is now in his fifth year, 29 years old at Eastern Kentucky. He's he's played in the NFL as, you know, as a backup. He's made some starts here and there. Um, you know, look, I'm not going to be the one that's going to get excited about Tim Boyle. I don't think anyone is. But if if you're at the minimum, what we've been asking for is bad quarterback play where we've gotten abysmal quarterback play. Again, we've been begging for it. If Tim Boyle can be bad, right? If we, look what happened with Mike White a couple of years ago. Was that last year or two years ago? Even last year, Mike White came in and he played that essentially perfect game against Chicago. Yeah, and and you know, if Tim Boyle can can just facilitate ten points of offense, ten points, I think the Jets can you know have have a 10, 13, 10 game in the fourth quarter against every team. And and I'll I'll you know with this defense and a somewhat not even somewhat serviceable, but with a a quarterback with a pulse that's seen an NFL defense before, I guess I'll take my chances. Yeah, and then if you get a defensive score, maybe you win the game. That's kind of the uh, that's going to be the blueprint the rest of the way. I got to tell you, this game on Friday, a couple weeks ago, this is a game I was excited to like potentially attend. I, I have no interest. I'm unfortunately going. Not unfortunately. Are you? I say that? I, but I, I, you know, I have a I have the day off of work. It's a three o'clock game. Why not? You know, I get it. Like, the, I save a little bit of money if I don't go, obviously. But maybe it's my last check game. I'll get to see the Dolphins and really see Tyreek Hill in, in action, I guess you could say. Uh, I'm going for more of that than any sort of rooting on the Jets. I'll put it that way. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I I can't even imagine. And also, I mean, now, where were you when Tim Boyle makes his first Jet start? So I'll always be able to say that. Yeah, because uh, the Tim Boyle area. I'll be I'll be looting Walmart. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the so the Bills six and five, Jets four and six. Um, I kind of don't even want to look at any sort of standings or anything because again, I was I had thrown in the white flag before this week. Uh, but but the Jets are now uh, in fourteenth in the AFC, only with the Titans and the Patriots behind them. Uh, and really looking at teams ahead of them. There is no shot. There's zero shot. I mean, no. And then people people will love to tell you, oh, well, with what happened to Joe Burrow and Deshaun Watson, who kn-? no, I mean, it, it took me a little longer than you. It took me seeing them lose the Raider game in the fashion they did for me to really say this is over. Uh, but this is certainly over. And like the only the only team that I'm looking right now that I would say, all right, so let's look at the Bengals, right? Like, there's a possibility the Bengals just don't win another game this year, just given the Joe Burrow situation. They're obviously like they're they're a decent team still, whatever. And maybe this the kid they start is, you know, somewhat serviceable and maybe finds them a win or two. But you know, they have five wins. Could the Jets leapfrog them? Sure. 
are the Jets going to leapfrog the, the the hungry Chargers with a great offense? And are the Chargers going to constantly find themselves in bad luck? I don't think so. The Raiders, they have the best coach in the NFL now, so I don't think the Jets will leapfrog <laughs> them. Yeah, NFL <laughs> and NFL history, you might you the, might want to add. I would even I would even bet I would bet money that the Titans, who are have a one less win than the Jets, finish above the Jets. Yeah, I would think so. You know, they're going to be closer to the 16th team than the than the eighth team, even the Jets. Yeah. You know, in, in terms of the AFC, um, just really, it's just bad. And like you know, getting into a little bit of a deeper conversation with the Jets, you know, why did this take so long with the Zach Wilson thing? Look, we we understand that you know the constant. I, I actually jokingly, but not jokingly, uh, brought up that uh, we spoke on the last podcast that the Jets and the Bills were the in tied, not tied for the lead, but were the number one and two teams in the NFL for illegal contact. I don't know what other teams got illegal contact penalties, but the Jets, the Jets are now uh, have the same amount as the bills. So I would presume that they're both tied for first place in illegal contact penalties. I thought that was very funny that we brought that up and it kind of happened right. Yeah. In, yeah. The, in the Jets time. are going for the throne though. They're trying to finish yeah. first. They're going to hang the illegal contact banner uh, yeah. at the end of the season. So that'll be, that'll be very worth the 25% ticket price uh, spike. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, in terms of the front office, who who's gonna who falls on the sword for this? Does anyone? Yeah, you know, I just don't know because we talked about this all week, sort of just saying that we didn't we no longer thought this was a solid thing. So then we had spoken and said this has to be a Woody thing or it has to be a Douglas thing, and I just can't imagine Woody enjoys this watching Zach Wilson each week, you know, watching the fans beg for him to be replaced. I mean, there's no way he could be enjoying that. So, like, could it have been a Douglas thing? I don't know. I think what the Jets brass is hoping is that everything we pointed out at the start of the segment, how hard it is to get a guy open and all that, I, I think that they're hoping it just continues to look like that under Tim Boyle. Because then, then you know, then what are you going to do? Okay, then, then we lost Aaron Rodgers and there was nothing we could have done from there on. And Zach Wilson gave us the best chance to win. I think that's what the hope is. It's, um, but that, is that almost like rooting against your team, though? Like, that's so ass-backwards to me. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess. I, I mean, maybe maybe I don't think that they're hoping to lose games. I just I, – I think that they have to think that Zach Wilson truly did give them the best chance to win because there's really no upside to Zach Wilson. Yeah, not anymore. And, you know, now, you know, we, we spoke about – I was even a proponent. I'll even, like, embarrassingly enough admit, admit this, but I even said, hey, bring Aaron Rodgers in have Zach Wilson sit behind him for a year and then, you know, un- sit down with Wilson and say, look, like w- if you want to stay here and you want to have a job lined up for you, you take this amount of money for whatever, you know, you, you had this fifth year option or whatever it was. Uh, and, and, you know, you tell him like, look, you sit behind him for a year, grow, and then you'll become the starting quarterback. I think that, that truly was the plan all along, but now that's totally thrown away. There's no way this guy, Zach Wilson, Unless unless there's an injury, I would I think Zach Wilson's time might be done here, uh, and and I can I can't ever see him taking another snap in the Jet uniform unless it's in you know some sort of meaningful snap I'll say unless it's in garbage time, but like why why wouldn't they just cut him? Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. It, it uh, to me that would be like you know you, you talk about getting you know the fans behind you and getting you know, the, the, I guess your team to rally around him. And, you know, obviously I'm not going to say that, you know, oh yeah, the Jets should cut him just so that the locker room can, can kind of, you know, unload and let, let everyone know how bad he was or whatever. 
Because again, it's not all on Zach Wilson. There's ugliness all over the field, but but almost to to just kind of rid your rid your organization of of even just like the thought of of yeah, just the Zach chapter, just the, that chapter of failure. Yeah, and it's it's it'll be interesting to see what the Jets do as far as you know who's dressing and who's not on Friday. Yeah, I'm still going to expect Zach Wilson to be dressed up. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I, I guess the experiment's over, and I guess that'll do it for Zach Wilson. Um, before we do move on to the Giants, there is more rumblings about a potential Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams reunion next year. Um, I guess that's something I'll hold out hope for. Um, but unfortunately, we're, we're going to have to sit through the rest of this season here. Yeah, it, it's... I mean, what do you take out of that? I think it's like, to me, it's like, okay, if you want to come back and be competitive, you know, you're going to be what, four and eight, four and nine, when when you could even think about even sniffing the field. What's the point? Of Aaron Rodgers returning? Yeah. Yeah. And then he sent, he sent a video of him working out, you know, to the, to the Jets and the players are all excited. I, I just, I mean, what do they think is going to happen? Do they I, think I like a, a quick recovery win is good for two wins? They, they can't fight back into the race. I was I was thinking about this today, and I almost think that you know we that we had joked or not we, but like you know there there had been people that had joked about how uh, you know Peyton Manning runs the Jets. It's literally I think Aaron Rodgers does run the Jets, and, and I think that there was some chatter this morning about all right. So if someone needed to fall on the sword for this, if if it's if it's not going to be anyone in the front office. If it's Salah, and then they just tell Nathaniel Hackett to be the head coach, I mean, Rodgers would might as well own the team. Might as well call him the New York Rodgers. Yeah, yeah. And on top of that, I, I think that we do see Aaron Rodgers this year because I think the decision is going to be up to him as yeah, long yes. as he gets clearance. And I think his whole thing is just, I want to do something that no one's ever done before. I, I don't even think he's worried about what the record's going to be. I think he intends on playing a football game this year just to say he did it. If Aaron, I agree with you, and I, I couldn't agree with you anymore. But if Aaron Rodgers comes back and he again, he's he's guaranteed all that money next year. This is all fully guaranteed, hundred million dollars or whatever it was. You know, power to him. As you know, aside from my fandom, power to him for kind of getting the Jets to to do that. I guess. But if Rodgers comes back, let's just even say he plays the game start to finish. Whatever the result, the Jets get their fifth win in week 16 or whatever. And then he and then he gets hurt again. And then he's out for next year. Then what? Then I stop watching this football team as, as long as I exist. It, it, it like that would be so it's it's so much of a risk that like it, to do that would I mean, at that point, uh, to me, if Rodgers comes back this year and, and the Jets are not competitive, that is. Someone needs to be investigated, seriously, because that would be some of the most, you know, malpractice of of all malpractice in terms of running an organization. You know, I don't even think it's like you can't even wouldn't be able to sell me on the fact of like, oh, we just wanted to see Aaron Rodgers at home again to give the fans some hope for next year. Yeah, no, 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 I I don't even want to see him. No, yeah, hundred percent, and then I really do think we're going to see that, and, and that'll be a discussion for the future, I guess. I, and I can't believe that we're gonna we're gonna have to see this this five win team in week seventeen. I mean, do they get their fifth win? 
Uh, I, I think they'll they'll fish one out somewhere, kind of like the uh, the Falcons or football Giants were able to. The Falcons. Yeah, a game like that. Okay, they're they're not being the Texans. The Texans are are the Texans play a different sport than the Jets on offense. Yeah, CJ Stroud's good for almost four hundred a week. Yeah, and, and Zach Wilson doesn't even know what four hundred looks like. No, no, he he he's comfortable in the eighties, seventies. <laughs> <laughs> 75 7 for 15 for 75 yards it's more Zach Wilson's <laughs> lane I'm more of a I'm more of an 8 for 10 for 60 kind of guy <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah yeah that's just that's just kind of the way I uh that's just my game yeah that honestly I would respect Zach Wilson if he just got up there and just started yeah. clowning himself like that that would be so funny yeah um, well speaking of a respectable performance uh the Giants in the nation's capital uh with Tommy DeVito Tommy DeVito surprisingly 18 of 26, 246, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and somehow the Giants win a game that I think if you're a Giants fan, you probably wish they didn't. And and I think all of that very impressive. The win by the Giants, sure, very impressive. I think I was my exact quote was, this is a win the Giants are going to regret for years. Um, and, you know, the, I think the most impressive thing about all of that Tommy DeVito was sacked five times in the first quarter, nine times in the entire game, <laughs> and they win by, by yeah. two possessions. Yeah, they just completely own Washington. Um, it's always nice to see uh, Saquon kind of have a day, but I don't know, man. I think if, if you're a Giants fan, I, I guess you can't really be angry because you, you know that you can't lose on purpose. But it's just, I mean, they, they really did some damage in winning this game. Yeah, they, they now, I believe, own the fifth pick in the draft uh, as of right, right. now. Do you know anyone, do you know any Giants fan who just, to them, just winning is the most important thing. Let's let's start winning some games. Let's change the culture. I'm happy they won a game. The draft is a crapshoot. Do you know anyone like that? Because I feel like I've heard it all morning, just, you know, through the the radio waves in New York City, and I don't really get it. I understand not being angry that your team won a game, but I mean, this, this is a negative at the end of the day. Uh, I do not. And, and I, I couldn't, I can't even fathom even thinking like that. If, if there was someone that still does think like that and is, I want to say happy about the win, but like, you know, if, if you, if you, if you do truly see the draft as like a crapshoot, you know, you're going to, or maybe the only way I can even rationalize that is if you, if you're a giant fan and you just say like, you know what? We're we're not gonna the the Panthers aren't gonna lose two more games. If we want their pick, we're gonna have to trade up anyway. Like maybe that's the rationalization, and, and just like you know, it it doesn't matter so so much. Maybe we have to give more draft capital to to move up, I guess, or if we even want to move up, or maybe maybe there's some still some Daniel Jones truthers out there that say, you know, I want to see what this team can look like without Daniel Jones and or with when Daniel Jones comes back. And then we could add through the draft or we can make a trade or some free agent signings. Maybe those are the people that, that want to win like that. But I have yeah, no idea. I, I think if anyone's going to be souped about that win, it's probably Daniel Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, honestly, if you think about it, not that that Tommy DeVito is going to threaten Daniel Jones job, but, you know, he kind of made this offense look a lot better than Daniel Jones did. Yeah. That was impressive for, for a guy who, just you didn't trust to even drop back. Um, I, I thought that was an impressive performance. And and again, I hate to just keep going back to the Jets, but how does that happen? How I, I don't understand how that happens. How a guy like that, 
who Zach Wilson was, everyone forgets, was a number two overall pick. This was this was a guy who, in, in many drafts, might have went number one. In many drafts, he in almost every draft, he probably goes in the top five coming out of college. And then this guy, Tommy DeVito, strolls in after some abysmal performances, comes in and, and puts up 31 points and, and looks like a serviceable NFL quarterback for for a good portion of this game. Yeah, I guess I guess Zach Wilson's done that by mistake too a couple of times. You know, you look back at the Kansas City game, things like that. Um, I, I just think it's another indictment on how piss poor the Jet offense is. Yeah, yeah, and um, and ultimately you're right, and it's it, it's it's gotten so bad. And, and now look, I'm not going to say the Giants are you know the Kansas City Chiefs or anything, but like, but still, you know, whether they they just own the Commanders or whether they they just you know, uh, Dable has it out for the commanders or whatever it is. I, I think that if you're the Giants, you know, kind of looking forward here, you you have a game against the Patriots, very winnable. Then you have a home game against the Packers. You play like that, you you might win. Saints probably lose, but and then you get the Eagles twice at the end of the year. You know, I'm not putting any hope for the Giants' playoff aspirations, but there could be a world where the Giants end up winning more games than the Jets. Yeah, yeah, there there could be a world where the Jets are, are are the fan base kind of more excited about the draft pick come the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it, that's very embarrassing, honestly. But I know as far as I kind of spoke very highly of Saquon, I always speak highly of Saquon. But man, I I just have to sing his praises some more. He, he's the man. I mean, he really is. Like he to to me, like a guy that can go out there and he, you know he goes fourteen of eighty three on the ground. Four catches, 57 yards, and two touchdowns in the air. The guy put the team on his back yesterday. And and here's the thing. Like, Brees Hall, obviously, we sing the praises of him in, in the Jet offense and whatnot. But but Saquon Barkley is is a, a game changer. And kind of getting back to my point where I said about, you know, the future perspective of a Jet uh, giant quarterback, I think it kind of bolsters my opinion even more. I think you if you're a Giant fan – you have to keep this guy around. There's no way that you can bring in a young quarterback or bring back Daniel Jones and not have Saquon Barkley. There, uh, to me, it would that would be a, the one of the bigger missteps of the recent memory for the Giants. Yeah, I mean, if you're Saquon Barkley, you're the guy that just this past offseason, um, you know, the Giants are trying to nickel and dime you, and it was a whole thing because we have to get Daniel Jones paid. And now you're Saquon Barkley, and you're still changing games, and you know that Daniel Jones might be done as a Giant moving forward. Um, so, yeah, I think at this point, if you're the Giants, you know that he's such a dual threat. He's really in that, you know, small category of game-changing running backs like Le'Veon Bell was. You know, like a lot of these dual threat kind of running backs, he is one of them. And all he does is help quarterbacks. I mean, we've got over the stats all the time with Daniel Jones – how much better he is with Saquon than without Saquon. Uh, yeah, how about just doing right by the kid for once? Keep him for two seasons. Yeah, I, I'll even give him you look at the Jets, I mean, like, this whole season, wouldn't it have been nice to have some sort of security blanket like that with how bad this offense was? It would have been great. It Well, it, it, that, it, it has been Brees Hall, and Brees Hall, I'd argue, has probably been the Jets' offensive MVP. It, it, I, yeah, but I think in terms of, like, pass catching and things like that, I, I still think Saquon's a better player. I mean, did you see that first that first touchdown catch in the end zone? Yes. The, uh, and, I, I again, I jokingly said at the time, he runs, like, a wheel route that ends up being, like, a fade in the, the corner of the end zone that was a very Eli Manning to Mario Manningham-esque 
catch between the safety and the corner on a on the side of the field. Obviously, you know, kind of speaking out of out of out of turn there a little bit, but there was when I saw it, it kind of was very reminiscent of that that infamous Eli Manning Manningham catch. But again, this one was Devito to Barkley, so uh, it, it was funny. But but Barkley's just so good that that he's not even he's the best receiver on the Giants, and he's not even a receiver. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's it, it's so to me to again to kind of bolster the Barkley the uh, the Barkley point even more. He's he's literally your best receiver. So when you're paying for him, you're not just paying for your feature back that can catch a swing pass or a screen pass. You split him out to the outside, and the other team probably puts their best corner on him if they're playing man. Yeah, yeah, no, you know, they probably would, and that and yeah. that's why I kind of a guy like Saquon. I totally get why NFL teams don't want to pay for running backs. They're too interchangeable. Saquon Barkley's not. Go ahead and go and interchange him then if you think he is. Go and do it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Go go draft his replacement. You know what I mean? Like go yeah. get go get another in Saquon the fourth Barkley. round where you think you're supposed to draft running backs now, which you might be right, but it's not going to be Saquon Barkley. Yeah, and to be honest, with if if the Giants got, I've I've been saying this for a long time. I thought uh, on the other side of the ball, I thought the Giants defense played amazing yesterday. Kayvon Thibodeau. I believe he has 10 sacks on the year. Uh, a lot of people kind of were, were looking at him and saying that he was a little bit overrated, I, I guess. But he now finds himself uh, 10 and a half sacks on the year. Uh, and and I, he was absolutely wreaking havoc yesterday. But you, you get you have a guy like that who an edge rusher linebacker that can really change a game. You, you have a guy like Wink Martindale as your defensive coordinator. I think the Giants on defense are fine. You get you if you bolster your offensive line, even if you bring back Daniel Jones, or you know, even if you 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 draft a quarterback and you sign Barkley and you you actually you know get a legitimate outside weapon, I think it's feasible that the Giants could be good next year. I really do. Yeah, no, you're right. They're they're in a better position than it seems. Like you just said, they have a premier edge rusher. Edge rusher. Uh, they seem to just have a good defense overall, especially under Wink Martindale. Uh, you know, you think they're going to have Saquon Barkley, who's a, a premier back in the league. So, yeah, I mean, we're talking about offensive line help um, and really just a threat on the outside. And then if, if you can get the quarterback, there's no reason the Giants can't bounce right back. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if you again, if you can, let's just say I, I kind of brought this up last week. But if you're the Giants, go get Devontae Adams, go outbid the Jets for Devontae Adams, right? Go get go get a guy like that, and yeah, you're, don't, you're don't say it too loud. Though. I don't want them to hear you. I, I know, I know. I don't want the Giants to listen to this and get any any crazy ideas. I I get it. Trust me. I I even I said when the the rumors of Devon the, the, not even rumors. I'm pretty sure it's like a fact at this point. But there was a, a report that came out yesterday that the Jets would be uh, are like very much uh, monitoring the Devonte Adams situation, and I quoted it and said that he will be in green and white, and I truly believe that, but. You know, I'm putting my Giants hat on for a second. I, you know, if I'm Devontae Adams, why do I want to go to that shit show of the Jets team? Yeah, but you know, just, I just mean, to play with your buddy Rogers, I guess. But like, yeah, I'm a Jet fan though. Honestly, if that news hits during the off season, I'm I'm completely back in. I'm back in. I mean, I'm. How do you? I guess we'll get back to the Jets here for a second because I I totally forgot even just to talk about this abysmal offensive line. Go if if you have the uh, NFL package, uh, the NFL Plus or whatever, or even if you see the game on, I, I challenge you to just watch the first half of the game and watch the right side of the Jets' offensive line. 
it's like nothing you've ever seen before. It's it's actually great. It's great. No, like turnstile no. wouldn't do it justice because like no. like when you go through a turnstile, you still have to kind of stop, maybe turn your hip a little bit, move through it. It's not even that. It is a red carpet. It's it, it's like not. They might as well not even line up a right tackle. Yeah, it, it's a cone. Yeah, <laughs> it's literally a cone. It's on air. They play. Yeah. They play offense. They the defense is going on air. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it's it, it's so bad, but. Look, good for the Giants. Uh, you know, I guess like in turn, looking at the season, if if you're if you're already you know in the fifth, if you can find yourself as the Giants with the perspective of Daniel Jones coming back next year, if you have like we said a good defense, and even if you have find yourself in the top six or seven picks in the draft, you know, I I think it's going to be hard for Giant fans to sit here at the end of the season and be like really unhappy with the position they're in. Yeah, I think the Giants have a clear. Uh, route to to kind of repairing this a little bit. I think you look at the Jets and you say, well, we'll see. I mean, we're hearing about Devontae Adams. That's great. We think we're getting the quarterback back. That's great. We talk all the time about how hard it is to get offensive linemen. Um, and I think that's something even for the Giants, actually, that, um, you know, the, these two teams have been trying to kind of fix this thing for years and they haven't been able to yet. And I think outside of any offensive threat, pass rusher, anything. I think that that's kind of the most important thing on, on both of these teams' dockets at the moment. Yep. I'm a, a definitely a big proponent of building from the inside out for sure. Uh, I'll wrap up this, this, unless you had anything else to say about the Giants. I'll wrap, I'll wrap this up with Giants play the, the Patriots next week. Uh, they're home. What do you think the line is right now on that game? The Giants are home? a good question i'm still gonna say it's new england minus five and a half really so now that's well well minus three and a half like yeah somewhere around there i would think so i'm even so the line is minus three i'll tell you this my instant reaction to that line i thought this should be closer to a push I guess, but I, I don't know. I I just would you really come off of one week from the Giants and think oh, you know they they can hang now? I'm not sure. Uh, but I think you know the the Patriots are. I just think they're really bad, and I think the Giants need like these are both. This might be a a, a ten seven game, and I think that favors the Giants. I guess so. They have the best. I, I still unit. think that, that about the Jets. Know, I still think that Washington is a team who kind of mortgaged their defense and New England's a team where they don't do a lot of things well, but they, they you know, they, they play some good defense. So I guess, I, I don't know. I guess I just, I didn't, I didn't see a, a, a crazy shift, um, you know, after one week, I guess. The, the only thing I'll, I'll say about that is, you know, I just think the giants kind of, they, they, now they, I, I guess they're going to go back into this, the, the game week prep and they're going to say, all right, maybe we found a couple things that, that DeVito's good at. Like he likes, like, you know, you start building a rapport with your offensive coordinator and we even heard like mic'd up where it's like, Oh, you know, I really like this rod. I really like this rod. I really like this. Maybe they, they have like, you know, they understand what DeVito can do and what is not as, you know, as stressful, uh, you know, to him as it might be to other quarterbacks or maybe, you know, I think what I'm trying to say is I think it might take a couple weeks for an offense to kind of develop around a quarterback. And I'm not saying that, you know, Bar- I'm looking for Barkley to have another, you know, monster game with two receiving touchdowns. But, you know, maybe he just likes throwing to Saquon Barkley. And maybe that's the the route where they like to go to. And they don't even worry about getting a guy like 
you know, Wandell Robinson the ball. And, and don't forget about this. Darren Waller is also out too. So they've had to change their offense from primarily focusing uh, on Darren Waller to then Barkley. And now you have DeVito in there instead of Jones. I think this offense has gone through some transformation and I'll, I'll even say this. We'll obviously have a preview pod, but I, I'm picking the Giants to win that game. I mean, that game might be more fun to watch than the Jet game we have on Friday. Have you looked at the line there yet? Uh, I am. I was going to ask you that. I, I, I actually, I think it's almost generous to the Jets. I know they're home, but I mean, we kept that baby under 10, huh? It's nine and a half as of right now. Yeah. Friday, 3 p.m. Uh, it's going to be very, very weird. Someone said to me, uh, you'll like this. Um, I was talking about the game and I was you know, thinking about going and whatnot and talking about tickets with someone. And they were like, oh, that's funny. The, the Jets have the, the, the JV time slot. The oh, 3 yeah. p.m. Yeah, Friday, the, the 3 p.m. time slot. Right before yeah, the varsity. Yeah, that, that, that's what it is. Yeah. So, um, uh, it, you know, nine and a half, uh, I think you kind of have to lay it with the Dolphins. You kind of have to. Yeah, I think in a couple of days, this, this thing might get up to 11 and a half. Oh, yeah, I think it gets past 10 for sure. And if it doesn't, I will be very, very suspicious. Yeah. Uh, well, how did we do on our picks? So another split for us. Um, you had the Cowboys minus 10 and a half. That was not even a sweat. Um, and you also took the Chargers minus three as your two point that did not hit. Chargers are uh, in a world of shit, for lack of a better term. Um, on the other side, I took the Lions minus seven and a half. Kind of a crazy game there. Uh, they end up winning, but not covering. And then I take the Rams uh, plus one. I actually believe I got very lucky that they got them plus one. They um, they ultimately win by one. But when the game when the game kicked off, I believe the Rams were all the way up to minus two. So when we made those picks, there was a large swing in the line there for sure. So I, I kind of got a l- little bit lucky there. But yeah, that's what you get for for picking a little early. Um, any any other notes around the league that that you wanted to to want to hit on? Kind of anything you saw this weekend that you was of note? Yeah, um, I'm on the NFLShop.com right now, uh, ordering myself um, a Cortland Sutton jersey, absolute dog of a wideout on the Denver Broncos. That was an exciting <laughs> night game. Um, obviously, for personal reasons for myself, but just an exciting game overall. I think uh, we kind of saw Dobbs start to struggle a little bit. Another big win for the Broncos. And uh, like we said, tonight is kind of the pageantry game of the NH- the NFL. Yeah, uh, Eagles-Chiefs tonight, uh, we already kind of outlined it in our preview, but I'm on the Chiefs. I believe you said you're on the Eagles yourself. Yeah. Uh, it, it looking, just looking for a great game. Uh, from from Sunday of note, I mean, the, the, the Steelers, I, I thought, you know, a game against the our division rival, where you they have their backup quarterback in, Deshaun Watson out. I thought that was a really bad loss there for the Steelers that talking about abysmal offenses, they're in they're getting into jet territory with how bad their offense is for the Steelers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're losing to DTR and company too. Yeah. And it's it's a absolute miracle that they have their six and four. But hey, uh, you know, definitely a lot of football to be played. Um the CJ Stroud train keeps rolling. Uh, they beat the Cardinals 21 to 16. How about this? Listen to this from a gambling perspective. I took just kind of as a throw in, I took over 40 in that game. First quarter, they score 17. Then the Texans score 14 unanswered in the second quarter. So at halftime, the score was 21 to 10. I'm like, these teams might, this might go over 60 at, at halftime. 
Six points were scored in the entire second half, and I don't hit over 40. Game and ends 21-16. Stroud threw two interceptions in the red zone, one inside the 25. So you should have hit with ease. Absolute crusher. Yeah, so that, that was uh, – a. but again, C.J. Stroud, they, they keep winning games. And uh, I believe the Jets see them soon, I believe. They play the Jets – not uh, they play them the week two weeks before Christmas. They play them on uh, December tenth. I, I liked week- uh, CJ Stroud after the game. You know they're asking about the three interceptions more than he's thrown all year. He only had two on the season coming into that one, and yeah. he said, uh, "I'm not going to lose confidence." You know, uh, Steph never sh- stopped shooting. Um, so yeah, the, I I thought that was uh, I, I think they're kind of building uh, an organization and developing a quarterback the right way. Yeah, they definitely are, and I, I think that they uh, they're going to be a team that's going to be a thorn in the side. I think because you know, also just looking at their schedule, big. This is a huge game on Sunday. This might be the 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 game of the weekend. Jaguars Texans, Jaguars seven and three, Texans six and four. Uh, they are they you know they they win that game. That's that's a game for first place in the AFC South, realistically. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, that's gonna that's be something to watch for sure. Uh, and then as, Justin as far Fields as, impressed in his return, was just gonna bring that game up. Yeah, that was uh, until the very very end. There, I thought that the the Lions were Lions were a bit in, or in, in some hot water there for sure. But uh, but they they managed to pull it out. Great fourth quarter comeback there by the Lions that are, I think they're real. I think they they slip up from time to time, but you know. I wouldn't want to play them. I'll say that. I think I think they're they're uh they're they're definitely a team that you know they're 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 eight and two and I think they're definitely an eight and two team is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, so, yep. I, I guess there's nothing else I really want to add. Uh, you could shoot me some some bets later for tonight's game. I'm just on chief straight to be honest. All right, then just, I'll, I'll go against you then. You're not going to take your uh, your your uh, errors tour boy Travis Kelsey to score. You know, I don't want to see Taylor Swift at this game. I mean, Taylor Swift is supposed to be this, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania. I'm an Eagles fan. I, I don't need to see her decked out in Chiefs gear because of her Wait, dumb you know, boyfriend. I, I was I was unaware that 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 she was that she was from Pennsylvania, one. And two, I was Where did unaware you think she was she from? Was, Would you have said like Texas? No, nah, maybe not Texas, but one of the Carolinas, maybe. That's fair. That would have been that would have been my guess. But also just because she's from Phil or Pennsylvania, she's an Eagles fan. No, no, no. She claims to have been one. She would wear Eagles gear on stage. Really, though? Yeah. Did she even know what the shape of a football was before Travis Kelsey? She might now know the shape of a, of a football. I think. Okay, I, I hope so. I mean, she's been to enough games, so uh, we'll definitely be looking to see that. We have a little bit of hockey to get into, so let's get into that. If you're a hockey fan, you think that we've been kind of uh, foregoing some major storylines. I mean, I'm not much of a hockey fan myself, but the Rangers seem to be the the, story, the, big, the most impressive team in the town. The Devils lose Jack Hughes, kind of find it's themselves a low bar. It's a low bar. Yeah, 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 it's a very, very low bar. It's, it's uh, the fact that we, we're including them in the podcast kind of shows you how <laughs> yeah. low the bar is. Yeah, that's so. the only reason we have to do it. Yeah, so uh, if you're a fan of hockey, you'll enjoy this next segment. All right, so everyone's accused us of neglecting hockey this season. Uh, that's not true. But if we had uh, a dedicated following, then that's probably what they would say. And uh, really, any time that we delve into hockey, we like to go to our secret weapon over here in 
Nick Zararis, host of the Liberty Blue Pod, Blue Pod, among others. How are you doing, Nick? Happy Thanksgiving, and thanks so much for a moment. Happy Thanksgiving to you too, Matt. Uh, doing pretty well. Hockey season's starting to take shape now. The stat everybody likes to throw around is 78% of the teams that are in a playoff spot on American Thanksgiving ultimately end up making the playoffs. So this is a good indicator of the field starting to shake out, and we're starting to get an, an idea of who's actually good and who isn't. That's not really a stat that I'd heard before. That's that's interesting. It's so early. Um, I, I mean, I guess it sort of makes sense. But it's been a while since we talked. Um, our baseball team out in Queens finally has a, you know, a bona fide uh, baseball operations guy, which we haven't seen before. Um, I don't know how you feel about the managerial hire. I almost feel like it's such a try-hard thing to complain about because we can go back and forth just debating, like, you know, how important even is the manager in today's baseball, things like that. But – uh, I would imagine you're excited about the Stearns hire. And just as a Mets fan, are you looking at this offseason sort of saying, well, this, this year is going to pale in comparison to the last couple? Like, it, there's really nothing to look forward to because they're going to take that big of a step back in terms of spending. Because they've kind of, every report, they've kind of gone back and forth. Like, you know, I mean, leave it to the Mets to be dysfunctional and whatnot. But I thought it was rather strange that, you know, before Stearns entered the building, we were hearing reports of, yeah, it looks like the Mets are going to look to deal Alonzo. And then Stearns comes in, says the opposite. There's always differing reports. So I don't really know uh, where Steve Cohen's at, where the Mets are at in terms of this offseason. But are you strapping yourself in or do you kind of take them at their word that they're going to take a uh, a substantial step back? I think they are a team that has a plan but is adaptable. I mean, the example I would give is Correa last year. Like, obviously that didn't work out, but I think if the right opportunity for a good player is there, they will take it, whether that's a trade or whether that's free agency. If somebody's sitting there and they feel like they can make a good offer or a competitive offer for anybody, whether it's a trade for Juan Soto or Corbin Burns or whether it's Otani or Yamamoto or whatever, I feel like they can be in on anyone they want if they choose to be, which is why I'm not going in with any real hard hard fast idea of they need to do this this and this i feel like they have to shake this out and i don't think the manager matters a whole lot in baseball anymore i was talking about this with somebody the other day unless you have one of like the five actually good managers like you have cora it doesn't really matter who you have because they're more or less interchangeable guys who are just doing what the scouting department wants them to do yeah well it seems like the mets were after uh one of those top five managers you speak of and just simply didn't want to be here but I mean, I'm, I'm okay. This is uh, Carlos uh, Mendoza, former Yankee yeah. bench coach. I don't know much about him. I don't know if you do, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to touch on the Mets with you because I feel like uh, baseball fan bonds are just a little stronger than any other sport because there's just so many games. There's so many things on the Mets that, you know, just being a prisoner of them each season that like we could speak to that a baseball guy couldn't. It's just such a long season. Someone yeah, else tells absolutely. me they're a Jets fan. I say whatever, you know? Absolutely. It's 162 games is a lot of time and a lot of effort. It's like doing a jail bid with somebody. By the end of it, you're pretty you're pretty tight with them. Uh, I do want to give you an opportunity to mention your newest venture, your newest uh, podcast that you spoke to me about. 
Oh, yeah, no, I'm going to record it as soon as we're done with this. Uh, once a week, I jump on with Hunter Hodes, and we do and this is the true? national power rankings for the NHL on the Lockdown Network on YouTube and on the national podcast feed. That's every Thursday. This week being Thanksgiving, we're going to record this today, and it's going to go out tonight because people aren't going to be listening to podcasts on Thursday. But, yeah, lots and lots of hockey talk today. We're, this week, we're focusing on teams that are in that middle class between like 12 and 20 in the standings, teams like the Blues, teams like the Islanders, that type of team and try those types of teams and trying to discern whether they have room to improve or whether this is kind of what they are. And that's really the focus is trying to give you a little more added value as opposed to just these are the standings, these are what they mean, trying to look a little bit deeper and give a better, a more insight than you would get from just reading a power rankings column. Because every publication does a power rankings column, you know, there's every single one does one, but you can only do so much writing one paragraph about 32 teams. It's not really going to be the most informative thing. So I think pulling it pulling it in a little tighter and going in with a refined approach is the best way to do that type of content. Awesome. Well, yeah, everyone go check that out. And I also want to, it looks like you recently won a money in the bank match. So congratulations on that. Uh, let's start with the Rangers here. I want to get to a little bit of devils too. Uh, the devils now kind of play in my backyard. So uh, I feel like I, I'm, it's sort of a, my duty to have a vested interest. Um, I haven't been to a game yet though, since I've lived up here uh, in terms of the Rangers, it's been fun. Uh, it's been exciting. Uh, just I obviously want to get your thoughts on the club as a whole, but I want to take us back to that Dallas game for a moment, just because to me, I feel like the Rangers hung in for two periods. I thought they looked, I thought they played really well until it kind of got to the end and you kind of became, you know, riddled with turnovers. And I don't know, they, they kind of wasted a two-goal lead. Now, that's just something that's going to happen, uh, especially when, you know, the Rangers right before that had registered, you know, at least a point in 11 straight games, winning 10 of their last 12, I think it was. So that's something that's just going to happen. But I would guess that Dallas is probably the best team you've seen so far. So down the stretch of that game, to see the turnovers and see, you know, really for a period, the first time that – it looked like the Rangers couldn't really keep up speed-wise or um, even intensity-wise or physicality-wise. Is that something that makes you raise your eyebrow at all? Obviously, I'm not going to use a word like worried or panicked, anything like that. But is that something that you go, you know, that was kind of a big test. And, you know, down the stretch, you know, they, they maybe failed it. So a couple of things on that. Number one, Dallas has, in my opinion, the best roster top to bottom in the entire league. They have the, I think they have the 12 best forward group of any team in the entire sport. They've got one of the five, 10 best defensemen in the entire league in Miro Heiskanen. They've got a really good goalie in Jake Ottinger, even though he didn't play last night. Again, he didn't play on Monday, excuse me. Dallas is one of the best teams in the entire league. The Rangers are dinged up, which, you know, that uh, that's not an excuse. That's context. They're missing their best defenseman. They're missing their number three center. They're effectively playing two fourth lines right now. But what I would say as far as the game specific to Monday, the thing that concerns me or something that I'm keeping my eye on is for a lot of Gerard Gallant's tenure, the team would get too high, come into games very confident and then lay an absolute egg, come out flat, and feel like the game was going to come to them. Or they would get too low, and they would lose like three or four crappy ones in a row. This is the first real adversity they've really faced. I mean, they've won a lot of games and not the most convincing of fashion, but they have found ways to win, which is what's encouraging. The thing I would add to that and what I'm looking for going forward is 
how do they respond to these types of stressors? Because in the past, it's taken dramatic, you know, everybody points to Truba throwing his helmet as like a galvanizing moment to kind of get their heads out of their asses to play harder. Whether or not you subscribe to that theory, I don't particularly, but you know, it's close enough where people have carried that as the wisdom as to that's what turned around the season last year. They are a good not great team they are missing one of the best players in the entire sport and they have a roster move or two to make they but this is not what the roster is going to look like isn't it tough for you to not bring yourself to that other side after seeing what they did you know over the course of you know almost three four weeks to not like sort of feel tempted to be like no I, i do think they're a great team I can't say they're a great team because the talent isn't quite there at the moment. Without Fox, without Heedle, they're a two-line team. They are rolling two fourth lines because the way they're using uh, Cooley, Kako, and Nick Benino, they're using them as a second checking line. They are only getting offense at five-on-five right now from uh, Panarin, Trocek, and Lafreniere. Zabinijad and Kreider are giving them nothing at five-on-five. Part of that is Blake Wheeler being there. Part of that is Zabinijad is just ice cold. He doesn't have a goal at five-on-five yet this year. His one even strength goal was in three-on-three overtime. So I think with a little bit more time, we can get a better understanding of who they are. They're definitely a good team. That That's not in my a doubt in my mind. The question I have is, what's the roster move they're going to make? Are they going to keep doing this with Blake Wheeler? And then, you know, we can start to get a better understanding of who they are. But the fact they're this far along this early, that's encouraging. I was expecting them to come into the season and just be cold, frankly, based on how last year went. New coach, a couple new guys in different spots. Lafreniere and Kako adapting to playing in the top six. Heedle adapting to playing in the top six. I've been comfortably impressed. I I don't think it, I think it's a little too early to call anybody great. Also, like we were saying, we still kind of got to see who's good and who's not. Like two weeks ago, Florida was in like seventh place in the Atlantic. And now they're in second place. It's early enough where you can make a drastic move like that. But I think the Rangers are firmly in that upper class where even if they're not in that tier one group of contenders, they're definitely in the, that next group down where they're definitely like fourth, fifth, or sixth. Yeah, and that's why that stat that you threw at me about uh, you know being in it by Thanksgiving was uh, you know surprising. But uh, you did mention that top line and uh, Kreider, Mika, Kako. Um, you're not really getting anything from them uh, five on five. I'm not going to say that uh, they haven't played well. I think in terms of controlling a game or even just defensively, I, I think they played good hockey. But, you know, they're there to contribute to the bulk of your scoring. And that's something that you've missed. And that's certainly where, you know, the bulk of the scoring of the Rangers has come from the past couple seasons. Now, you know, Kreider's got 10. I'm not going to kill Kreider. But, you know, he went scoreless for a good portion of that streak. And I, I don't remember the last time Mika Zibanejad sniffed the net. You got, a, you got a, you know, kind of a fluky goal from uh, Kako the other night. That was nice and a, a little skirmish in front of the net. Uh, but even Kako, you know, if you're going to play on the first line and the scoring is going to be lacking elsewhere, I can't even look at him as just being, you know, a complimentary piece of the line anymore. So I, I guess just is there any cause for concern uh, with that entire line moving forward? Now, like I said, Kreider, he, he gets his goals and he's kind of proven to be, you know, a non-cause for concern sort of guy. Um, but, you know, we saw them play a really good team maybe for the first time and it it, it didn't work out in the end. It's one game, but is there any sort of concern moving forward with that line or any talk of even just splitting it up? 
So let's unpack that one thing at a time. Number one, they have gotten like really bad shooting luck, which is part of why it's still very early in the season where you see guys who are good hockey players who have like 5% shooting. League average is about nine, nine and a half. So that that's number one. They're just, it's very early. Zubinijan has done this a couple of times where he's gone, you know, two weeks, three weeks without a goal at five on five. So this is still within his character. Um, as far as breaking them up, I think part of the reason they're sticking with it is because they're still decent defensively, which is part of how they've been used the last few weeks, where I know a lot of people traditionally think your third line is your matchup line where you're going to send them out there against the other team's best forwards. But because they're kind of short of center right now with Hedl being out and no idea when he's going to come back, they're not going to ask Trocek to do that because he's going so well with Panarin and Lafreniere. And that line, as good as it is offensively, they're not there to play defense. So you're going to put Zbigniewicz out there against the Jason Robertson, against the Jack Hughes, against the Mitch Marner, against Sidney Crosby to try and be your eraser, to try and be keep the game state flow, keep the game flow even based on the logic that there just aren't a lot of guys in the NHL that can stop what the second line is doing right now. It's a calculated risk trying to win every game two to one, three to two, but they are playing that Panarin line is playing well enough where they've been able to get by for now. And the power play has been great. I think they're at 33% for the year, which is absurd. It's not going to stay that way. They'll probably end up mid-20s, low-20s. But the power play has been good enough. And the one last thing I'll say on this before I stop rambling. The reason I'm not as concerned about the lack of five-on-five scoring as I was the last couple of years is the simple fact that when everybody was healthy, they were actually playing good team defense. Like, they had a positive expected goals, high danger, and just scoring chances share for the first time since like 2015 that's how good they were playing those first three weeks of the season before Heedle and Fox got injured that's why I'm a little bit more encouraged about the state of the team as I was say this time of year last year where the results weren't the same in terms of wins and losses but the play was comparable in terms of just not having the puck a ton and not scoring a ton and I would also say the Rangers you know more than most teams in the NHL they kind of from lines one to three you know, they have a lot of scorers. They do. They have, you know, whether it's your Trochex or even your Beninos, they have guys that can score, but I, I don't know. It was just concerning to me that your creators offensively weren't making it happen. Uh, we talked about all the things the Rangers have responded well to, injuries to, you know, Adam Fox, Igor, even Hedl. Um, You know, I guess this is just another thing that they've had to deal with. Uh, what do you attribute most to the Rangers still winning these games? Because, you know, uh, in in recent times, you'd be able to point to Shesterkin, but, you know, you even had to get a couple of good performances out of Jonathan Quick here uh, to keep that streak what it was. So outside of, you know, goaltending or, you know, anything else that we might have used to say, you know, because it, it's not Zabanajad, what is it that's helped the Rangers keep their head above water? Uh, Panarin and the power play. Uh, after the game on Saturday against the Devils, Panarin had contributed on 51% of the Ranger goals for the entire season. Uh, that's really high. Like that's Connor McDavid levels of point production. Uh, Panarin's previous career high was his first year in New York, where it was like 42, 43%. So he's definitely capable of playing to this level for long stretches. And the power play has been outstanding. I, I, that's always been the Rangers remedy to their lack of five on five success is the fact they have one of the best, if not the best power play units in the entire world. And that can make up for a lot of issues when it comes to not scoring enough. Yeah, and uh, did I ask you about Lafreniere already? No, you haven't. Yeah, what would you attribute just his, I don't really want to call it an emergence, maybe just, you know, he seems to have taken another step. 
Um, I, I get that he's playing with Panarin, and Panarin right now is, you know, playing at an all-world level and things of that nature. But, I mean, the shift of the narrative on Lafreniere from, you know, one year to the next is it's impressive and it's surprising. Okay, so number one, I will start with the pushback on the premise that everybody was just fed up and they wanted a scapegoat after the way the Devil series ended and Kane and Tarasenko weren't here anymore and Kreider and Zabinijad kind of have the hall pass from being here for so long. Panarin got a good brunt, good brunt of the criticism for the way last year went. But Lafreniere and Kako got a real specific type of ire that I can't believe they fucked up picking first and second overall consecutive years because that's an easy narrative to rally around. And the the pushback I always had to that where it's not that I was just, I wasn't disappointed. I was, I, I can say I was disappointed in what Lafreniere had been to this point coming into the season, but I always saw the glimmers, the flashes, the potential. You got to remember the first year and a half he was in the league, he was playing third line, 12 minutes a game, not getting a ton of power play time, not being given liberty to be creative, to try and find his game, which really sapped some of his confidence. When you're a playmaker, you need to believe in what you're doing. Otherwise, it's not going to work. That's been the biggest reason he's played better this year. The skills are still more or less the same. He's not that fleet of foot. He doesn't have an elite shot. He's got a really good hockey IQ. He's got decent positioning, and he's got okay hands. He can make things happen with his mind, which is his strongest skill set. And he's playing with Panarin, somebody who, and part of what makes Panarin uh, Panarin playing so well help Lafreniere is that defenses respect Panarin more because he's shooting more. This is the highest rate of shots Panarin's ever taken in in his career. He probably won't keep shooting to this volume throughout the course of the entire season, but so far he has never shot this much in his career, which is giving Lafreniere more space to make get to more dangerous areas because the defense is going to cue in on Panarin. Yeah. Uh, how much of that, by the way, you think is just a product of New York, just like the, the, the narrative we had on those two guys, you know, to me, it's just kind of Ranger fans being like, we had two picks in the top two and, you know, where's our Stamkos, Tavares, you know, uh, Connor Bedard. Entirely fair. It's entirely fair. But the counterpoint to that would be, Ranger fans know that the Rangers did not fully embrace what it meant to rebuild. They drafted Kako the same summer they traded for Jacob Truba, Adam Fox, and signed Panarin. A rebuilding team does not make those moves. They gave Kako a chance that rookie season, and he was awful. He was the worst player in the entire NHL as a rookie that year because he wasn't ready for the North American game, but the Rangers couldn't swallow their pride and send him back to Europe, and he wasn't eligible to play in the AHL. Lafreniere went from March of his draft year to the last week of January the following year without playing in a professional hockey game. People forget that, that the the uh, QMJHL season got canceled the first or second week of March because of COVID, and he didn't play in a real hockey game until the following January. I want to say it was January 18th or 20th, somewhere in there, against the Sabres. That was two, almost, a I don't want to say a full year, but nine months without playing in a real hockey game at the most crucial point of your development. It took a while for Lafreniere to find his game. He didn't really get comfortable at the NHL level till the end of that season where they went on the deep playoff run and went to the conference finals. Now he's got his feet under him. He has a coach who isn't up his ass and inconsistent and looking for every excuse to play Barkley Goudreau in the top six. And he's playing well because he has a ton of confidence in his game. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the rebuild because this is just something I was thinking about. And locally, you know, in this city, uh, rebuilds aren't really something that works here. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just, um, you know, I demands of fans I just don't and think sort of the, the – what's that? I don't think anyone has the balls. I disagree. Well, right. I don't think because, anyone has the yeah, balls so to do it because they fall back on what you're saying. It has to be – yeah, it's, it's results right now. So, I mean, a lot of them have abandoned it. But even the ones who try to successfully rebuild here, uh, it hasn't worked. And, you know, you look at the Rangers, and I can't think of a, of a comparable one. And not that I think they deserve, a you know, a Nobel Peace Prize for writing us a little letter. But I think that was the start of it, just sort of that, you know, willingness to say this is the direction we're going. Nick, you, you haven't heard a word from the Knicks president in it feels like a decade. No, you haven't. I, but we know what the Knicks are. They're a good, not great team. They need a second star. Brunson's fun. Julius Randle is occasionally fun. Mitch is great. I love Mitchell Robinson. I love Quentin Grimes. I love IQ. They're a fun team, but we know what they are. There's nothing for... There, there's nothing the Knicks are going to tell me that I don't know. That they're fun. Take them for what they are. I'm just grateful right, they're not the a Knicks, joke. The Knicks rebuilt by accident uh, yes. just from years and years of losing. I haven't yeah, seen another team commit to, to it uh, the way the Rangers have, so it's nice to see them sort of get their flowers here. Now, I just want to I want to let you sort of just give me anything that I haven't asked you about, something a listener might not know, um, because like I said, you know, I've kind of been listening to you do the rounds all over the place, and, you know, I know there's a lot more knowledge in there that I could even pull out. So just Rangers moving forward, Rangers over the past 10 games, whatever it's going to be, is there any Ranger points that you wanted to get out there uh, before we talk about the Devils a bit? Uh, Eric? Eric Gustafson, steal a free agency. He's getting basically league minimum, and he's been one of the 10 best defensemen in the entire NHL so far. I was looking earlier on Evolving Hockey, and I want to say he has the most war of any player on the Rangers so far this year. Granted, you know, we've only played 15-ish games, but for league minimum to get somebody on the back end in a position, yeah, he's leading the team in war. He has been nothing short of remarkable, and it's fascinating to me because he's been discarded so many times. This is somebody who's been in the NHL for eight seasons, and he's been on seven different teams in that time. And this is a guy who had a 60-point season in 2019 as a defenseman, which that's very rare. Yeah. I mean, it's a little less common now. It's a little more common now as the game shifted a little more towards offense. It's, the game's a little more high-scoring in general. But to for a guy that talented to so clearly have it and it take he's 30 i think he's 30 or 31 years old to take this long to so clearly stick like the rangers won't be able to afford to keep him which is a real shame because he's been so good this year already and based on what he did in washington last year on a bad washington team i'm inclined to believe this is kind of who he is the fact that this guy was getting tossed around for league minimum waiver claims seventh defenseman it just blows my mind that there are guys this good out there that for whatever reason executives just they were biased against his skill set whether it's the fact he's a, he's big but he doesn't hit or whether it's because he's european for whatever reason he just never got a landing spot that worked for him yeah yeah it's fair uh any guesses as to uh where our old friend patrick kane winds up or where it makes the most sense what makes the most sense for him? I would tell him to wait longer because you want to give yourself a little bit more time to get back into hockey shape and you want to get a better understanding of who's actually good and who's not that you can, he should be slow playing this. I don't think he makes, I know he met with the Leafs yesterday or today. I forget when I read that tweet, 
the Leafs don't make sense for him. They need defensive forwards, not offensive forwards. I could see Florida. I could see Dallas. But Dallas, that would bump somebody good further down in their lineup. I don't see that. There just aren't a lot of teams that make sense right now. Detroit, Buffalo, maybe. Buffalo kind of needs something, especially because they, they were supposed to take a jump this season and they just haven't been that good. But they've they got some injuries. Tage Thompson tore his knee up. Devin Levy hasn't been good as they expected in net. If I had to guess, I would say Buffalo or Detroit, but I could see Florida. I could see Dallas. I just I don't think Toronto makes sense, even though that's the team that has the most smoke around them right now. Yeah. And just thoughts on Laviolette so far. I mean, it's early in the season. It's the first you've got to see him, um, you know, coach this team, mesh with this team and things of that nature, handle the media. Um, You know, not that there was any questions there, but just how have you felt about him so far? I'm just glad he's not playing Barkley Goudreau as a security blanket. It was my biggest gripe with Gallant was whenever he was uncomfortable with how the game state was going, he would just bump up Goudreau or VZ, and that would make the top six worse. Laviolette has exiled Goudreau to a fourth line role, which is what he is talented enough to do. That is what his skill set allows him to do. And he hasn't panicked. My biggest gripe with Gallant was always the lines going in a blender at the first sign of adversity. These are more or less the same lines they were on opening night, just injury adjusted. They moved Wheeler up, they moved Kako down, and they bumped everybody else one spot up in the lineup. This is almost the same exact lineup as opening night, whereas it felt like every night under Gallant, the lines would go in a blender the the first sign of trouble. So he's done a good job of kind of keeping everything under control. And you can see it in the way the Rangers are playing, that the structure is there for them to fall back on in the way it hasn't been the last couple of years. Yeah. So my my neighbors over uh, at The Rock, uh, they seem to have gotten off to a start that you sort of expected the Rangers to, it seems like. Uh, And I don't know how much that has to do with, you know, Jack Hughes missing... Uh, three weeks or whatever it was, uh, but they're a team floating around 500. Is that a team you sort of expect to, you know, fight back into relevancy? Yeah, you, the thing a lot of people forget, aside from the injuries to Hughes and Heischer, they replaced two of their defensemen from the team last year. Ryan Graves is in Pittsburgh now, and Damon Severson is in Columbus. Anytime you turn over two defensemen from your starting your starting six, especially guys who kill penalties who are a little bit more defensively inclined like Graves and Severson, you're going to have an adjustment period. You're slowly integrating Luke Hughes into your lineup, who he's been solid so far. He hasn't been all-world, but he doesn't look out of his depth at the NHL level. Hughes and Heischer missing significant in time not great Timo Meyer has been dinged up as well Tyler Toffoli has fit in very well for them he's scoring a lot of goals Dawson Mercer they haven't gotten going to the degree he was last year Dawson Mercer had like 25 30 tucks last year he was outstanding they'll get him going Eric Howla is what he is but he's a good compliment to Jack Hughes I think if the Devils get healthy they'll be fine I do think they have a trade to make though whether it's for another defenseman or a goalie Vanacek and Schmidt haven't killed them this year but Vanacek was at least good in the regular season last year, and he hasn't been that good yet this year. There's time for them to get him going right as the team in front of him plays better. He'll have to do less work, and that'll just kind of make his job easier, which should in theory make him play better. But I do think they have a move to make, whether it's for a goalie or a defenseman. But yeah, I expect the Devils to firmly get into that third spot. And Carolina hasn't been good either, which is how nobody in the Metro stands the Rangers have gotten off to a good start. Like Pittsburgh's still in that middle. Pittsburgh's ahead of the Islanders and the Devils. 
Islanders and the Devils are 20th and 21st. Pittsburgh's like 17th. Washington has been better than expected. They're sitting at, I want to say, 11th or 12th. And then Columbus and Philadelphia are non-factors. So the fact everybody in the division's gotten off to a mess start plays into the hands of the Devils' slow start. Yeah, so when when the Rangers met the Devils Saturday, the Rangers played a really complete game. That was, you know, that was a fun one. To me, for a regular season game, I know that Prudential is always going to be, you know, an extension of MSG when the Rangers are here. That game in particular felt it felt like a little much any any reason or is that just a product of you know coming off of, maybe both yeah. teams being good last year and and the rangers off to a hot start cuz i i can't recall a regular season game that i had i had seen like that it had a lot of juice and i was there and i'll tell you it in the arena it was weirdly quiet for long stretches of the game and my my interpretation of that is that everybody was anxious as hell, that they were sitting on their hands, they were nervous. It was a very back-and-forth game, devil score, ranger score, devil score, ranger score, until the Rangers scored three straight to win the game. Very close game, very hard-played game. You had a couple really big hits in there. You had a couple scrums after whistles. And anytime two teams play each other in the playoffs, you're going to get some animosity. That's the one good byproduct of this stupid playoff format where you play divisional opponents in the first and second round is you see each other a lot the following season. So it's having the desired effect the NHL was looking for. But I don't it one of the more charged up regular season games I have ever been to for sure. Energy was definitely a bit chaotic. It was really loud in there when there were things happening. But you're not wrong in your assessment. I would agree that that game had a lot of juice for, you know, November, whatever, whatever it was like 14th, 13th, something like that. A lot of juice for a regular season game. Yeah. All right. Uh, one NBA question on my, on my way out here. How do you feel about the in-season tournament? I think it's a cash grab. I think of with course. time, I think with time, it'll, we'll get a little more used to it. I think the biggest thing is just getting people up to speed you got to get the players to buy in, but good that's basketball. The whole thing. Basketball. I think if, if players buy into anything, then I'm on board. It's the same thing with, you know, the World Baseball Classic. It's kind of just yeah. like anything. I just, I, I don't want to, you know, beat a dead horse, but I just there's so, some of the courts I can't watch. Like I literally can't watch the game. Oh, I was at a bar on Saturday on Friday night last week, and I kept looking over at the TV. I'm like. Is that the Nick game? I was like, what like Bahamas college basketball tournament is this? Because yeah. it doesn't yeah. look like an NBA game. It didn't look like an NBA game, but I, no. it's basketball. I will always watch good bat. I don't watch a ton of regular season basketball, but when there's good basketball on, I will watch. I'm not opposed to watching good basketball. So if you get good matchups, you get players trying hard. I'll watch. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I do want to offer you one more thing here. We do a... um. You know, obviously we do our, our NFL picks every week, but uh, we also run a competition, me and Sam, where, you know, I think I'm leading by one point right now where, you know, we, we each make two picks a week. They're weighted differently and it's a really tight race, but we've knocked it out of the park. Um, on top of that, we also have a weekly uh, guest pick. I don't know if you've looked at the slate yet. I will give you a moment to, if you haven't, I'm pulling uh, but, it up. Right and now. our guests have been outstanding too. So uh, what we're doing is kind of, a, it's an anomaly. And uh, if we could keep it up, um, I think right now we're the biggest threats to Vegas, you know, in the country. So I do want to offer you a guest pick. It won't count towards our competition, but uh, it'll count in uh, in my heart. Any parameters for this pick, or just against the spread? Against the spread. Okay. I I really, based on 
how the Giants played last week, I feel like them being three and a half point underdogs is kind of disrespectful considering how bad New England is and the fact New England refuses to name a starting quarterback. But I think realistically, I out of all of the slate, I think give me the Texans plus one and a half against Jacksonville. I feel like the Texans are better than Jacksonville, even though Jacksonville has the better record. I feel like I feel like what I've I've liked a lot of what I've seen from Houston, whereas Jacksonville, even though they're winning games, it just hasn't looked very convincing. Yeah, we just had a we just had a discussion on Trevor Lawrence versus uh, C.J. Stroud, and Sam came out and said that he uh, prefers C.J. Stroud. So uh, I know you're a Giants fan. I'm sorry to hear it, um, but yeah, I mean, I just Brian Dable. Are you still in on Brian Dable? I yeah. think the win against Washington was sort of like. No, 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 I could still keep this thing afloat, you know, and, and they, they kind of win a game you maybe didn't want to win, um, but they won one. And I, I don't think winning's always a bad thing, especially when every draft is a crapshoot. Um, I'd like to see Saquon Barkley back. Uh, I, I just feel like he's kind of the difference in any game that they win. I feel like that's by default because he's their only playmaker on offense. I, I'm not opposed to bringing back Saquon. I just don't think there's a world where what they're going to pay him is commiserate with the production he's going to give them, which is just a byproduct of what the NFL is now. I think they're not in a position where they should be giving $12, $13 million to a running back just because the rest of the roster needs so much. They have like six building block players, and they got to turn over another 45. So the, Saquon more than likely, I think, will be back, even though I don't think it's the most financial financially logical decision but yeah i'm not going to begrudge them for going out and trying a lot of those guys are playing for jobs it was good to see tommy devito have a nice game all that stuff but they really need to lose to new england if they want caleb williams or drake man okay I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that because over this past you know week or, or since they won that washington game there's a couple fans out there that just feel like no 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 w- winning is what you build off of winning is everything I, I can't even rationalize how silly that is. That winning that Commanders game w- was that's gonna that's gonna carry over. That's gonna do something. I can't deal with it. Too much of the roster turns over. That's the big reason. I, I it's really hard to care about these games down the stretch because every off season of your fifty three man roster, you are turning over ten to fifteen of those guys by default. Even if you're a good team, the bottom half of your roster is constantly getting churned in and out based on draft picks, trades, free agency, dra- all and training camp invites. That's just ten fifteen percent to begin with. And then you go into, well, if we're not a good team, we got to get more starters in here, which is going to turn over more of your roster. So a lot of those guys, I don't think it matters to them, the state of the team. They got to go out there and try their best and try and win. But winning itself isn't really a winning itself does not fix the issues the Giants the Giants are an untalented football team even when they win games they are not winning because of talent they are winning because they've out executed the other team there's a difference between the two yeah and are you a Daniel Jones truther which is to say or is there any part of you going into maybe this draft process and and just for the sake of argument let's say you have the second third fourth pick um is there any part of you that just thinks no, no, let, let's rebuild the offensive line. Let's get a real yeah. weapon in here. And, you know, we saw it last year. Daniel Jones can play. Is there any part of you that feels that way? Because I've never seen a quarterback before, you know, this five years for Daniel Jones, where I don't really know anything about him. 
I think at that point, you know what he is. If you don't know what he is after five years in the NFL, he's not worth your time. Sure, there's a rich, there are Rich Gannons, there are Kurt Warners, there are guys who go to a second spot, a third spot, and figure it out and put it together, have solid careers. But where at this point, my logic is the Giants are picking this high in the draft. You don't have to give up any additional capital if you're picking third, fourth, or fifth. If you're picking six through ten, you're going to have to give up stuff to go up and get the quarterback you want. The thing that does help them is that the teams they are in direct competition with, like Arizona, Carolina, Chicago. I know Chicago has Carolina's fan, but for the purposes of this conversation, those teams have some of those teams have a quarterback. If Justin Fields keeps playing well, that helps the Giants. If Kyler Murray keeps playing well, that helps the Giants out. So in my mind, if they're picking that high, I want a quarterback because when you're picking in the top five, you should be taking a quarterback if you need a quarterback. That well, is no, well the, the argument against picking a quarterback would be if you think Daniel Jones is the guy, you get um, an absolute haul in return if you decide to trade back. And then from that position, you take an offensive lineman here, a receiver here. I think that that's what the Daniel Jones believer would be looking for. I don't disagree with you. I mean, I'm with you. Michigan... I think even if it's your own fault. The the yeah. lack of success from Daniel Jones, even if it's on if it's on you, if it's on the Giants brass, I do feel like, you know, after five years, you kind of got to move on. Yeah, no, he'll be on the team next year because of the money stuff. But he, if they take a quarterback, he will not start unless there's an injury. I, I would be shocked if they take Caleb Williams, Drake May, or even Jaden Daniels, and we saw da- Daniel Jones play for the Giants next year. Yeah, he'll be All on right. the team, but he won't get in. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, again, uh, thank you so much. Enjoy your holiday. Uh, We'd like to hear from you again soon. Uh, Perhaps even a day where, you know, I'm by my lonesome, missing Sam. Uh, We could do a full show or something like that. Uh, Love to have you on. Appreciate it again. And uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds like a plan, Matt. Take care. All right. We have a big slate. We have football on Thursday, football on Friday. Oh, and just an extra day of football is just always glorious. Uh, put that on top of your your Thanksgiving meal, and it just makes for a, an unbelievable weekend. Uh, so let's get right into it. We kind of spoke about the the future of the Jets and the Giants in the, the beginning segment here. Not even want to get into too much of these games because, quite frankly, uh, we've kind of both thrown in the white flag on both. So... Let's let's give a, a a lean on each side and get, give a couple points and and we'll get to the rest of the league. So let's start yeah, I mean, with yeah, our definitely. no need for any our, uh, special treatment with the New York teams right now. There's just more important games on the slate. I'm there with you. And they don't deserve it. And quite frankly, nine and a half point dogs at home. Uh, I think a lot of people would expect them to lose, myself included. Where do you fall on that nine and a half number? Uh, I mean, the nine and a half is tough. I, I obviously I think you still have to take Miami to cover, but um. You know, I think going into this week, I don't really know how to feel about the Jets. I don't know if this is, um, you know, we've always said, we've said a million times, well, if they could only just have bad quarterback play or a guy who understands the system. So maybe that's something and maybe, you know, maybe the Jets team can luck into 21 points or something like that. Because I think if the Jets are able to do that, then they should be able to cover with the way the defense is played. Um, But I think that remains to be seen. So I think the question really is, you know, with, with a new guy under center, who seems to at least have a better grasp on the offense, do we now think the Jets are a team that's capable of scoring 21 points? And uh, until I see it, 
Yeah, I'm going to have to ride with Miami. So I, I've actually an interesting spin on this game, I think. I agree with you in the fact that, yeah, maybe finally we get a quarterback that that can be bad at, at the worst, right? You know, opposed to horrific and not able to read a defense. You're right. This I'm going to say this. I don't, I'm not saying the Jets are going to win this game, but as for the 9.5 number, I'm going to be on the side of the Jets. And if it gets to 10, I'm going to super love the Jets here because I'll tell you this. Miami coming to, New, to Jersey on a weird Friday game, so ultimately a short week against a, a, a quarterback they probably have little to no tape on uh, and a fr- not freezing but probably the coldest game of the year for the Miami Dolphins offense they just lost Ashan Tyreek Hill got banged up last week he did finish the game but still came out of that game a little bit uh, banged up I, I like the Jets with the nine and a half I think they keep it close I think they they tell Tim Boyle look don't turn the ball over and, and you know, just keep, just keep us in the game and maybe make your one or two throws. Like we saw Tommy DeVito, you know, finally learn an offense and finally learn how to throw the ball. Part of me, I think there's a lot of things here that point to the Jets plus nine and a half. As crazy as that sounds, I don't think I will lay a finger on this game as far as betting is concerned, but I just think it's a weird, weird game. Nine and a half. The over-under is only 41. So that kind of lends you more towards the, you know, if you like the Dolphins, you like the over. If you like the Jets, you like the under. I think this is a this is a low-scoring game. And I think that that favors, obviously, the Jets with the nine and a half. Again, gets the 10. I love it. Yeah, but I feel like even though you're saying it's a low, it's, it's you know, you're expecting a low-scoring game, by saying you like the Jets to cover the number, you're almost, without even realizing it, sort of already saying, like, yes, I expect more points this week. Because, I, you know, 10 points for the Jets, I don't think gets that number covered. But, but uh, let me ask you this. How do you not? How do you not expect more? Yeah. I just think it totally remains to be seen. I mean, I, I honestly think there's a, there's a piece of this Jets brass that is hoping that, you know, he looks just as bad. Because, like, I mean, could you imagine Tim Boyle goes out there and lights it up, which sounds crazy, but we've seen this exact scenario where, you know, the Jets have to turn away from Zach Wilson and out of nowhere, you know, the offense is moving, it's working. It's possible that we could see something like that. Um, I, I just feel like, I, I don't know, I, I'm more on the side of Zach Wilson was never going to work out. He, he never figured it out, but I, I think the offense might. Uh, just be broken altogether. So we'll see. But I think that if you're on the side of the Jets, then you're saying, like, I'm expecting this to be, like, maybe a seven-point swing or so uh, from Zach Wilson to whoever the next quarterback is. So I think I think in in, in going against you there, I think you kind of made, made my point for me. Uh, we've seen this before. We saw it with Mike White, who kind of the same oh, Yeah, no, I'm giving you credit. I'm saying it's definitely possible. I'm just saying okay, yeah, that's, yeah. that's what you're kind of signing up for if you're going to if you're going to sign on with the Jets here. Yeah, I mean, uh, on top of, you know, what I just said about, you know, it being cold, a weird, you know, three o'clock. We, we said it was the, the JV time slot, a weird three o'clock game right after Thanksgiving. And look, you know, all signs have pointed to, oh, uh, yeah, the, the Jets actually support Zach Wilson and this and that. And, you know, the, the team is you know, not been, the, the locker room isn't really divided per se. That was all the reports. I think you get on to, out onto the field, and I think something, that that's where you really show, you know, where where the team's head is at, pretty much. And I think that, like we've seen in the past, I hate, I hate relating it back to the Mike White uh, era, but, you know, we, we've seen 
what if this whole time Garrett Wilson really just has not been able to stand playing with Zach Wilson and he gets out there with with a quarterback that can you know maybe read even just read a defense at the least and has a great game and, and you know maybe I think maybe just again I'm a big believer in in tone shifting uh you know as far as making a quarterback change or firing coach stuff like that just to change the tone in the locker room uh, maybe that's it uh, and I think they said Zach Wilson will be the third quarterback so he, he will not even be a uh thought in this game uh most likely so i don't know i think nine and a half is a big number for a weird game like this and and uh especially a, a team like the dolphins who let's be honest seven and three all the stories about their offense and tyree kill and whatnot they get into these shootouts i don't know i think the jets can kind of suppress that offense and could they could they win this game you know 21 to to 13 or, or you know something like that, or twenty three thirteen, and and it'd be right on the fringe of nine and a half, sure. But I, I think the just this this kind of this kind of game in these conditions at this time and weird week, I think it favors the the, the Jets here a lot. So I'm gonna go with the Jets. Yeah, I mean we, we've seen this team win miraculous games before. I mean still the only team to beat Philadelphia. So you know anything is possible. Any given Sunday, the wind might blow your way. Uh, I think if the Jets win this game and then you're staring at Atlanta at five and six, where you're going, oh, we might be able to get back to 500. Maybe not me and you, but uh, I, I think a lot of Jets fans would kind of, uh, you know, get back up for the season in terms of playoffs, things like that. Um, and just a quick update I wanted to give. Aaron Rodgers did show up on the Pat McAfee show yesterday, like he does every Tuesday. Um, and there was one thing I wanted to point to that seemed like we were right about. Now, he talked about a lot of things on this show. Uh, everything from Zach Wilson's, you know, disruption of development, you know, all the way to how AI is going to be able to mesh with society and all that. So you get everything over there. But Aaron Rodgers did say that his return this season, which he is still targeting, um, has nothing to do with where the Jets might be uh, come that day. So the Jets might be out of it. Uh, if Aaron Rodgers is able to play, he is planning to planning to play. Uh, much to the dismay of probably all Jet fans. Um, but I just wanted to share that because we definitely hit that right on the head. Is This is just kind of something he wants to he wants to prove that he can do or be the first one to do or whatever it might be. But it looks like there is a, a good chance that we'll see Aaron Rodgers this season, which is crazy. It is unpre- unprecedented. You have to give him credit if it works out. But it's just another thing that we might have to hold our breath, you know, watching every Jet game down the road. Yeah, and uh, we've kind of said how it's it's kind of going against the grain there. And obviously, we've again, you're right, we haven't seen anything like it. But man, I think that would be that would be both unbelievable in the sense of you know medically unbelievable, and for Jeff fans as far as the the future of this organization, unbelievable in in both and every aspect of the word. So I don't know. I I think that again. I'll believe it when I see it. I kind of said the same thing when, when Aaron Rodgers' whispers were even a thing about him coming to the Jets. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it when he gets onto the field. Yeah, I'm with you. So uh, let's we're going to jump around here because we're, we're a little bit of a weird week. Obviously, weird, def- definitely a weird episode here. But uh, going around the league, let's jump to Sunday. The Patriots also head to MetLife. Well, this is going to start on on Thursday. Yeah, well, yeah, but I'm saying as far as, you know, going around the league, we're going to get the locals out of the way first. So Patriots-Giants, we'll get to here first before the rest of the league. Uh, Giants are plus three at home with the Patriots coming to town. 
Yeah, you lean that you might skew Giants here. I think last week was a product of just kind of going against a depleted and sort of, you know, traded away defense in Washington. I think the Patriots still bring something to the table defensively. Uh, that might at this juncture still be too much for Tommy DeVito. But, you know, props to Brian Dable for being able to put something together last week, um, kind of reminding you why, you know, we think he's the guy there. Uh, I think against uh, against New England and, again, you know, a game that might be a little less fluky. We're not talking about a division game against a team that they've seemed to just own. Um, I'm, I'm still going to side with New England here. I'm going to have to see the Giants do it one more time uh, before I can start giving them a little up. Yeah, and I think that if there's anything that, that you can kind of take a little bit positive out of the Patriots this year is, you know, they, they've played they played, you know, decent defense. And then you, you add that to what, what we always talk about with Belichick versus rookie quarterbacks and young quarterbacks. I think there's a lot of things that point to the Patriots in this game, as well as just the fact that Belichick just seems to have it out for New York as a whole. So I think he's going to have his guys uber ready for this game. Uh, I think the line kind of reflects that. I mean, the two and eight Patriots, are they six points better than the Giants on uh, neutral ground? You know, that, that's what the, that's just what the line reading tells you. So you know, that, I think that's a big statement there by Vegas. The over-under of this game is 33 and a half. They might set the record for most amount of field goals in this game. Yeah, yeah. When we talk about Bill Belichick versus rookie quarterbacks all the time, what about Bill Belichick versus rookie quarterbacks that should be working an office job? <laughs> yeah, no, literally. It, it really should be like uh, something, something like that should be almost like an anomaly to those numbers, to be honest. Uh, but... Uh, I don't know how to even evaluate this game. It's such a, I won't touch this game with a 10. I wouldn't, even if I was going to this game, you know, you always like to go bet on the games. It makes the experience a little bit better, in my opinion. I, you know, I think if I'm going to take the Giants, I might as well just take them outright to win because three points means nothing. And if they're going to be, if they're going to show up against the Patriots, they're going to win. It's not like they're going to, they're going to get, it's going to be a, uh, a shootout, right? This might be a. Yeah, no, this has defensive bout written all over it. This is 17-14 field goal within the last two minutes written all over it to win the game. Yeah. Yes or no? And I guess we give the offensive edge to the Pats, and that's kind of why I'm on the Patriots. Yeah. Uh, and Bill, Bill Belichick obviously doing that thing where, uh, you know, a little bit early in the week, obviously weird schedule for us, but doing that thing where he says, yeah, I'm not going to name a starter yet. Yeah. The, the, the Belichick way. So yeah. hard to really, really get into the nitty gritty of this game. As for the, you know, it, it, I guess a path to victory here for the Giants. It's it's got to be the same way as same thing last week. Barkley, Barkley, Barkley. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. On offense, you, you have to just rely on him and hope that he can get you a touchdown or two, right? Yeah. Continue to play good defense and and give Saquon the keys. If you're looking to win, you know, if you're looking to win this week, that would be the way to do it. Yeah. Uh, so so where are you at here? Are you going to take? Are you on the Patriots giving or the Giants getting? Yeah, I'm on the Patriots giving. I'd have to see the Giants do it one more time, perhaps this week, before I'm ready to start really kind of respecting what they're even going for, what they are right now. So I'm, I'm a new one. I think, again, and I kind of just made it sound like I'm very, very out front for the Patriots, but I think that, you know, let me say this. Bill Belichick against rookie quarterbacks is a thing when the, the offense is kind of being run around the quarterback. The Giants' offense, went, you know, especially looking at last week, more more specifically, is that run around the quarterback. It was very simple: one, two, three, one read, swing pass, handoff. Very simple offense that, again, like you said, give credit to Dable for. 
I, I don't know how much you can really confuse a, a simple offense like that. So I think I like the Giants to win this game. Uh, if they were plus three and a half, I would have thought to make them uh, my or a little bit higher of a line. I would have thought to make them my underdog pick. But there is something else I like on the board for my underdog pick a little bit better. Uh, but, you know, let's go Giants. I'm, I'll root for them. Why not ruin their draft pick? I guess so. But, I mean, another thing Bill Belichick does really well is, you know, he'll take away your best player. So I think the Patriots are going to do all they can to kind of limit Saquon Barkley. And then we're talking about Tommy DeVito going out there and winning a football game. So, you know, it, it'll be tough. But I, I think there's a chance this game might be more interesting to watch than the Jets one, honestly. Oh, I, I believe so as well. But also not at not in the same sense of like the Jets you're watching. Oh, I hope they can hang on. The Giants, you're, you're watching and saying, oh, maybe you can sneak out a, a win against a bad team here. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so, you are going to be at this Jets game for sure? Uh, I will I will be in attendance at the Jet game for sure. All right. Yes. Hey, uh, Woody Johnson and company, listen up. I do want to let you guys know it's gotten so embarrassing that Sam is on record saying, I'm attending this Jets game. It's supposed to be a big game. And he is on record saying... Yeah, I'm just going. I, you know, it's cool to see Tyreek Hill. Maybe you see the Dolphins offense do something special. That's why your fans are going to the game. It's not. Yeah, verbatim, right? Have we'll send this podcast over to them so they can they can listen to that for sure. No, they're they're, they're listening. <laughs> I know, I know they are. Um, all right, so let's uh, got the local out of the way. Let's let's get to some picks because we're we're getting down to the nitty gritty here, almost at the home stretch. You are one point ahead of me uh, in terms of the point allocation. I do have a uh, more correct. You are 13-8-1 to my 14-9. You're 21 points to my 20. The floor is yours since you're technically still in the lead. Give me your uh, start with your one-point pick. All right, so I'm starting with a one-point play here, and we are going with the Rams on the road in Arizona. Uh, the Cardinals don't even want to play any defense. I think with, you know, their running back back, with Kyler Murray back, I think they've kind of shown at least a willingness to win games and a little bit of electricity here and there. Um, I think the Rams are kind of, I think the Rams are still playing for something at four and six, you know, maybe unlike the Jets. I, I, I like the Rams here. I give a slight edge to the Rams. They're giving one point on the road. Uh, why shouldn't they win this game by a field goal? I'm going to take the Rams. Now, the only thing, that they, I, I like that as well. And, and again, I, I think, you know, all your points very salient there. The only thing I'll throw out there, I believe Cooper Cup very questionable to play this game. So if, if that means they, they got another one of those. You're you're right, and I agree. You know, he's not def, he's not a he's obviously a great receiver, but you know, not like a I wouldn't say a game changing receiver per se, like a Tyree Kill or Devontae Adams. But uh, just just throwing that out there, I, I don't hate it either. Um, I'll go with my one point pick here. I, I missed it last week. I, I just missed the read, and, and I think that I you know. I kick myself every time I overlook this team. I kick myself every time I evaluate this team because every time I evaluate this team, I always fall back in the same thing. Mike Tomlin's the coach. And Mike Tomlin, again, all the talk about, uh, you know, their their offense not being able to um, not being able to, to throw the ball and all this. They fire Matt Canada, who seemed to be enemy number one uh, last week. And, you know, just moving on, we saw what that did to the Bills' offense. They get, they get a divisional matchup here against the Bengals, uh, and albeit on the road. No Joe Burrow. Mike Tomlin in a, in a game where you win this game, uh, you put yourself in glorious position now in the AFC. 
uh, still probably still in the playoff picture, would find yourself at seven and four. And again, I said it for the Jets in terms of tone setting and, and locker room changing. Uh, I think this is a game where, again, you fire you fire your biggest enemy. Let's see how your team responds. I think Mike Tomlin will have his guys ready for this and against the quarterback making their first start in the NFL. So give me give me the Steelers here plus one. Okay, I like that pick. Um, you did say you had an underdog. I've been reading the, the sheet trying to get where you're going, and I can't yet figure it out. Um, but I'm going to take one, too. Wow. I'm going to take the Chicago Bears going into Minnesota. You're I like no the way Justin Fields looked pick. last week. I think it's an operable offense. I, I, I don't think they've been as bad as maybe they've looked. Um, you know, I, I think Ty Badgen was a little less than serviceable when it came down to it. And I think maybe the Vikings got just a tad exposed last week. You know, I mean, they're still exciting. Uh, I still kind of find myself rooting for them and rooting for the Josh Dobbs story, all that. Um, I, I think the Bears find a win. They, they, they get to 4-8. and eight. I think the Bears are just a, a tiny bit uh, slept on. And that's another team, you know, three or less wins who's not looking to lose any games. You're no fun. Is that your pick? That is exactly my pick and exactly uh, my read. <laughs> it's I, so I, annoying. I was trying to avoid it. I was like, I don't think... I, I thought maybe you would take the Chargers, but I was like, that's a little too much of a long shot. Uh, for all the same reasons, I, I agree with you. I think that the, the Vikings are... Look, the, the Josh Dobbs was fun, wins a couple games. You know, looking back, maybe shouldn't have won. Uh, and, and then, you know, they, they get a Bears team that... I thought the Bears played well against a really good team last week. They kind of gave it up the very end. Or oh, not kind of. They did give it up the very end there. Man, I, I, I like what I saw to Justin Fields for, you know, 80% of that game yesterday or last week. And I think they this is a, the Vikings team that is kind of in no man's land. I mean, not that the Bears are really competing for anything, but I think the Bears are kind of competing almost for themselves in a sense that, they want to. They want Justin Fields at least. Who wants to prove that he can make this team, you know, very viable in the years going forward, and, and you know, almost playing for his job in a way. If you want to look forward towards the draft and whatnot. So, I agree. I, I like the Bears here. Um, I saw them at plus one forty-five right now on the money line. So, uh, looks like we're bought in, and it'll be a battle of our uh, our one point uh, plays this week to see if we can leapfrog one another, or at least yeah. I would yeah. I would tie it up with a with a win and a loss. You would maintain the lead with anything, but uh, a, if if we both win, you are still in the lead. If we both lose, you're still in the lead. If we both win, you're still in the lead. So, I will yeah. be rooting against yours. Uh, and I will be uh, obviously rooting for mine. Correction on mine, uh, the Steelers are minus one, not plus one. Still going to yeah. take them. I think they win anyway. So, um, Yeah, so it's, it stinks that that happened. It's a shame, especially on an underdog pick that we're on the same game. But, and I never mentioned this before, I was kind of afraid of jinxing it. It is a little bit nutty that this is the first time that's happened this season. That We have not been on one of the same games. Well, I, I feel like I feel like we like kind of just like you just did or you, you just ad, admitted to doing. I feel like now when I pick games, I'll pick I'll think of things and I'll think of like what teams like you might like. Like for instance, totally. I, I I like the Rams this week, and I was thinking about taking them as well. But I knew you'd like them too, so I you know that would just you know maybe like threw in the back of my brain as I looked through the rest of the slate. Um, but yeah, I, I I think that that happens a lot. It's almost it's interesting because our records are so good as a collective 
that maybe we should think about that more often. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, um, all right, let's let's get to the the Thursday games. Let's start going in some chronological order here. Honestly, you get a lot of Thursdays where you get some pretty piss poor games. I'd say we get some have some decent ones. You know, the lines are obviously a little a little big, but uh, I, I think there's some there's definitely some interesting storylines in every single game here. So, first game, Lions eight and two hosting the Packers. Lions are minus seven and a half at home. I hate the swing, obviously, um, but how do you not take the Lions? They've you know they, they've been in the upper echelon of the NFL all year. They've kind of maintained some dominance over Green Bay, at least since at least since Detroit kind of came back into relevancy. And they're just absolutely rolling right now on top of all that. Um, I mean, they beat the Packers in Lambeau. They'll beat them in Detroit. Uh, and I expect them to do the same thing again. So, like I said, that half point is a little tough. But I'm not going to give Green Bay, yeah, coming off a win, I get it. I'm not going to give them enough credit to let that half point stop me uh, from taking Detroit. Yeah, I think that's the right read there. Honestly, again, you're right. If this game gets to seven, or even you know, even if it gets down a point, gets to six and a half, which I don't see happening, but you know, we'll see people Thursday throwing a lot of money around with their family, blindly throwing money on games, whatnot. You know, I think it's a, I think it's an interesting spot there for the for the Packers if you're super sharp there. But it's another uh, good uh, podcast title that we could we could go to: blindly throw- throwing money on games. <laughs> Hey, if you did, if you blindly threw money on our picks, you'd be up immensely this year. Yeah, so you would be. maybe, maybe we should change, and maybe uh, we get some some more uh, more coin in our pocket. Uh, you know, in a way. But yeah, I think I'm I'm with you on the lines there, minus seven and a half. The four thirty game on Thursday, the Cowboys minus twelve and a half to the Commanders, who just had an abysmal loss to the Giants. Begged the Giants to win that game uh, and begged to lose that game as well. Cowboys giving a heavy. 12 and a half. Yeah, a large number. Where where are you going here? I want I to alternate. I want to let you get some thoughts out first uh, as we yeah. go here. Yeah, I, I think it's a lot. I mean, but I'll say this. I think the Cowboys, every time I watch the Cowboys, like, you know, even the first half last week against the, the Panthers, they let teams hang a little bit. And, and I think they, they kind of set them up in a place most games where – they, they find where, all right, you have a drive where we can put this to two possessions or if Dak makes a mistake and throws an interception, we, we can leave the other team in the game. So I always get scared taking the Cowboys minus 12 and a half here. But, I mean, a commander's team that, that again, just begged the Giants to win that game last week. I can't – they can't hang with this, with this Cowboys offense. No way. Yeah, even last week when I took the Cowboys to cover a large number – you know, I, I get what you're saying because I'm watching the games too. It does feel like they sort of let teams hang, but it feels like every time I take the Cowboys in a large number, they, they find a way to come through. Uh, yeah. They're tied for first place with the Ravens just in terms of point differential in the NFL. Um, they've killed teams this year. So, you know, maybe they make you sweat a little bit. Um, I still think you have to take them. I, I, anything under two touchdowns here against Washington, uh, I like Dallas. Yeah, uh, and I think this this does get up. Uh, this number goes up maybe to 13, even 13 and a half. Again, uh, America's team on Thanksgiving, all that nonsense, whatever you want to say. Uh, it's at, sitting at 12 and a half right now, but I can definitely see it going up at least a half point. Again, the difference between 12 and a half and 13, not that much. It would still be a, a blowout either way, uh, all things considered. But um, yeah, I mean, I think you have to, you have to just... If, if you had to pick a side here, you have to go with the Cowboys. I can't see the Commanders 
you know, getting in a shootout and ultimately hanging with the Cowboys or even, you know, think about think about how you cover 12 and a half. Can the commanders shut down the Cowboys offense? I don't think that's happening. Could the commanders uh, get into a shootout with the Cowboys offense? I don't think that's happening. So uh, I don't know. I think that uh, I think that uh, you got to lay the Cowboys points there at 12 and a half. Um, yeah, we're talking about an elite defense versus, you know, a, a sold away defense. Quite literally. Um, the next game, this this one I have an interesting read on. So I'll I'll ask you your opinion first, and then I'll give you my retort. The Seahawks plus seven at home, six and four Seahawks against the seven and three 49ers. 49ers giving seven on the road. This is a Thursday night vehicle, short week for both. What's your what's your read here? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see kind of what you have to say about this one because to me, I think. You know, I get it. They're in Seattle. I, I still believe in, you know, the Seattle home field and all that, obviously. I still feel like seven, you know, I feel like if you're in that territory with the 49ers and we're, you know, we're talking about the Seahawks, maybe a tier two or a tier three team. I still feel like you should feel comfortable uh, with the seven from the 49ers. And the Seahawks are not a great six and four, by the way. So no, I, they're, I still they're find not. myself leaning Niners. Um because I just think when it comes down to it, am, am I trusting them to beat Seattle by just a touchdown? Yeah, I think so. So I'll say this, and, and this might just be an, an overall just uh, not even looking at any names on either team, not even looking at any sort of, you know, wh- who these teams are, X's and O's wise. But looking at looking at the 49ers, you know, they, they, they had a little bit of a skid when they lost to the Bengals, the Vikings and the Browns uh, a few weeks back. They come back and, and they they absolutely dismantle this Jaguars team. They they played a good game against the Buccaneers last week, who I think are are, are a very lowly team. Uh, you know, looking back at it, and, and I'll say this: I think that betting against teams in Seattle on a short week is with seven points. I don't know. I think I, I like this this plus seven here with Seattle. I, I think it's I think Seattle can keep this close. I I you know I think Pete Carroll obviously. Is is a is a very well seasoned coach that again divisional game that that this game is is huge for Seattle right this game is this this might change the tenor of the entire season uh, for Seattle you know with with a win or a loss they they beat the the 49ers here all of a sudden the 49ers what everyone thought would run away with this division find themselves neck and neck with the Seahawks and, and they already lost they would have already lost to them. I think they make this a game, and I think it's – I'm not saying Seattle's going to win, but I think it's close. And, and going to Seattle with with the team that you – know, the 49ers require a lot of communication, a lot of moving parts constantly, with, a, with albeit an impressive but young quarterback in Brock Purdy. It's a tough place to play on a short week. Give me the seven with Seattle. If it gets to seven and a half, I'll love it. Yeah, I mean, that actually might wind up being uh, the uh... – kind of the best game of the of the day there on Thanksgiving. I mean, in terms of how close the spread is, it certainly is. Uh, what what are you up to on Thanksgiving this year? What does Thanksgiving look like for you? Just uh, just small small family, close about twenty minutes away. So n- nothing nothing too crazy. I uh, just honestly, the, the bigger day is I actually have to work at night, but double pay. We love that. And then uh, Friday, I, I took a PTO day to go to this abysmal jet game that we we kind of spoke about. But uh, how about yourself? Yeah. Yeah, the same thing, just kind of, you know, small little gathering. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm big on just kind of hang out with my cousins, uh, watch two and a half football games, go home. Yeah, and honestly, I like when 
you know, I don't have any any fa- any cowboy fans, thankfully, in my family. I but... do. The, the host, the person who hosts Thanksgiving in my family, is you know, I love you, and Nancy, but uh, in <laughs> like an obnoxious Dallas cowboy fan. So every Thanksgiving, wow. it's it's a little bit of a pain. Shots at the Thanksgiving host before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, Aunt Nancy, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Damn. All right. Well, hopefully the Cowboys. I mean, it, it would be it'd be a rough time to. I mean, four thirty. Do you usually eat like? Am I the only family in the country that eats Thanksgiving at like three thirty? A little early. I think so too. But like, I feel like I, it's always that's always the case. I'm always like, all right, like at the end of the first game, we start to eat, and then by the time we're done, the second game's already kicking off. I, I can't be the only one. Well, so if you're eating at three thirty, are you not eating from the moment you wake up till then? I'm a I'm a big starver. Yes. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'll even get like a workout in the morning. Uh, you know, just completely just empty my my system, and then I'll uh, I pig out. I, I'm I'm no stranger to any of the Thanksgiving dishes. Yeah, yeah. Well, so all right. I think the it's the right deal on Friday that you will be at. Uh, we kind of went over, and I'd hate to talk about it for even another second. So. Um, bring us in to Sunday. So Sunday, uh, definitely this is a tough slate. Uh, last week we saw a lot of heavy favorites. There is not heavy favorites here. All these games are within, I believe, four points of, of one another uh, in terms of the spread. And there's there's definitely some interesting ones. We'll start it here. Coin flip game, in my opinion. Saints head to Atlanta, play the Falcons. Falcons plus one at home. Yeah, there's a total coin flip. And this is a game where if it was three or four weeks ago, I'd probably be on Atlanta. Um, I think New Orleans has kind of put just maybe a little something together just in terms of pieces on their offense. You know, uh, Olave finally sort of getting targeted the way that he deserves to, things like that. Uh, I think they're moving in the right direction. And Atlanta, you know, I, I think they started off hot or they started off formidable and, you know, at least looked like they might be exciting. I think at this point, I do favor the Saints just by a hair uh, in a coin toss game over Atlanta. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm. I'm with you on that. I think that the Falcons, again, Taylor Heineke, obviously at the helm there now. Desmond Ritter kind of has fallen into the background there, uh, and, and you know these are two two teams that are, they're kind of in, in no man's land, right? They can we can find a a, a way that you know the, the Falcons win this game. Both these teams are five and six. That that's the definition of no man's land. So I think the Saints kind of still holding on to a little bit of hope there. And I think the Saints get it done. They win that and ultimately cover the minus one. Next game, I already gave my lean. I'm on the Steelers. Steelers in Cincinnati. Cincinnati plus one. What do you have on that? Yeah, I think I'm in the same spot. Um, you know, that was a tough loss by the Steelers, especially after we kind of hyped up the, you know, Mike Tomlin go, you know, facing a rookie quarterback. Uh, that was a tough loss, but that was also perhaps the best defense in the league. Uh, you're not going up against anything close to that this week if you're the Steelers. Uh, and I, I, I tend to trust them a little bit too. But I think what we saw Browning in Cincinnati wasn't terrible. Uh, was still able to get a touchdown over to, March, uh, to Jamar Chase, things like that. So I'll be excited to see if the, if the Bengals are able to sort of keep their head above water the rest of the way here. Uh, and I think a team like the Steelers, that's, that's a really good test and a winnable game. So that might be an enjoy, enjoyable one to watch. Uh, I'm going to ride with the Steelers also. Nice, yeah. Again, also on the Steelers there. Steelers minus one. The next game, the three and this is, this is probably the worst game on the slate. Uh, the three and seven Titans hosting the one and nine Panthers. Titans giving three and a half. 
I mean, I think this is this number is too low. I think the the Panthers are in uh, the I, or in the beginning of the season. I said the Cardinals are in the I don't want to win games territory. I think the Panthers are are kind of approaching that as well. And, and I think that the Titans look. The, I think the season's lost for the Titans, sure. Uh, but I still think Hopkins, Henry uh, around Will Levis against a really bad Panthers team. I'll take the Titans minus three and a half there for sure. Yeah, uh, definitely a little too late for the Titans, but I think at this point, you know, um, with Levis in, I think there, you know, there, there's reasons for them to want to go out there and play well, and I think they have at least a lot better than they did to start the season. There's no reason for the Panthers to, um, outside of just you know, you have Bryce Young on your team. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna ride with the Titans too. I do think three and a half for being home is it does feel kind of low. Yeah, it's it's almost like uh, the reason it's not one of my picks is because. I think it's very, uh, very much a, a trap low. That's, yeah, that's you, the kind of lead I have. You just looked at the slate this week and just saw, I don't know, Titans minus, let's say seven. Would you have been like, oh, no. I'm shocked. No, not at all. Yeah, I don't think so either. Like they're a half point better than the Panthers? No. Yeah. They're, they're much better than a half or even a point if you want to do two and a half. So I, yep. I agree. I like it, but in terms of my, my picks – Honestly, if if I was were to make a two point pick and not go for an underdog pick, I probably would have taken the Titans minus three and a half as a two point. Yeah. Um, next game, we have the Colts minus two and a half hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, this is a, another another one of these coin flips. Again, tough slate. Um, I, I think I'm just gonna side with the home team. I, I like I like the Colts. I think that that Jonathan Taylor is uh, has really come into form. They, they, their offense has looked, I don't want to say spectacular or anything to write home about, but I, I think that they have, they definitely have the pieces there where the Buccaneers, you know, I think they've started the season 2-0 or 3-0 and have kind of been abysmal since then. Uh, the Baker Mayfield experience has come to a screeching halt uh, like we kind of have all predicted or could have all predicted. And I think that the, the Colts are just the, on the up and up. So I'll take the Colts there to win that one by more than two and a half. Yeah, I think this is Baker Mayfield against hippie Baker Mayfield. I think it's all. I do think it's a little bit of a a toss up here. Uh, I'll ride with Tampa just just because. That, that's my reasoning. I, I just I don't know. It's just sort of a, a gut feeling on this one because I think this is I think this is the closest thing to a legitimate toss up that I see on the slate. Just in my personal opinion. Yeah, very much so. You know, this is nothing really. Again, two teams in, in no man's land per se, but uh, definitely. Uh, might not watch unless you have a fantasy uh, interest in either of these teams. It might be a, a rough watch, but still, uh, I'll take the I'll take the Colts minus two and a half. We already spoke about the the Patriots and the Giants. Uh, let's get to the Jaguars and the tight the Texans. Texans hosting plus one and a half at home. Here's an interesting game because this is the I even said in a verbatim text last week. I think C.J. Stroud is better than Trevor Lawrence and. This might be my prove it one week later. That's interesting. We'll see. I mean, the Texans are playing a brand of offense right now that is exciting. I think it helps CJ CJ come along. But I, I think last week you can see it maybe sort of catching up to them a little bit. I mean, heaving the ball 20 plus yards down the field 10 times a game is crazy. Uh, and they've kind of done it to perfection all year. And, you know, CJ Stroud's finishing every game with you know, 340 passing yards. 
I think last week, I don't want to say he got exposed, but I think the interceptions started to show up, and I feel like they would with any quarterback who's, you know, I don't want to say careless with the ball or anything, but just for anyone who takes shots at the rate that they do. Um, so I, I don't I don't think they're going to peel it back or anything like that. I just think the Jaguars are a more complete team who play a really, they play a complete brand of football. Um, and the Texans are kind of just, I, I, I don't know, they're like, it's almost like they're cloud chasers, if, if you could be that as a football team. So I'll say this about the Jaguars. I, I'm going to just give my hand. I'm on the, the Texans plus one and a half. When the, when the Jaguars play offensive-minded offensive teams, they give up points for sure, right? They they give up uh, 34 points to the 49ers. And then the, the two games around that game, they only give up 14 points to the Titans last week. They gave up 10 points to the Steelers. Those are two abysmal offenses. They, they pull out a win in New Orleans, but give up 24 points. They give up 20 points to the Colts. They This team can give up points. And don't forget, they the Texans already beat this team earlier in the season, 37, and they put up 37 points against them. Now the Texans get them at home. I'm, I'm on the Texans this week, plus one and a half. Give me them to win. Yeah, I, I think the, the bread and butter of the Jaguars, I think it's something that sounds like it should work against the Texans. I think the Jaguars are... You know, we're going to run ETN and we're going to move the chains. We're going to take our time. And I, I think a game like that might benefit them if you're not, you know, just handing it back to CJ Stroud, uh, you know, to you know, give him a free pass to throw another five touchdowns in a game. I think that might work to the Jaguars' benefit. And that's kind of the way I lean that way. But, I, I mean, I'm all on the Texans. I'm all aboard the CJ Stroud train. And this is the one o'clock game that I will be watching. Oh, yeah. That, I think, I think like, this is the one that I'm into the most. Like, if I had to give you the three, it's this one, it's the Bills and Eagles at, you know, 4 o'clock. Like, those are the two, in terms of the one and 4 o'clock slates, like, those are the games I'm going to be most dialed into. Yep, I, I couldn't agree anymore. And, uh, I, again, I, I'm just hoping for a good game, honestly. Not much rooting interest here for me in terms of the Jets or us, I'd say, but I'm rooting for a good game. Uh, next game, the Broncos, minus 1.5, hosting the Cleveland Browns. We spoke highly about the Broncos. I'm going to lay the one and a half with them. I think they win. I'm, this is tough. I'm not. I, I just think we saw it last week when, you know, the Browns are in a tight spot. The defense prevails. And this is a seven and three team with no signs of slowing down. I think the Broncos, we can say they've sort of pieced it together offensively, but they're not great. We're still talking about an offense that, you know, you really don't have like a bona fide number one. We're talking about maybe you know, four to five targets to both, you know, Judy and Sutton. And I don't know that they, they haven't really blown a team out. They haven't, they haven't gotten into a shootout. And I don't know how Russell Wilson and this, you know, new Sean Payton offense is going to handle a defense like that because they didn't handle the jet defense well at all. That seems like a million years ago now, but it's just another one of those scenarios where I kind of just got to see it. I haven't seen them light it up at all. Yeah. You know, I, I, I guess I understand what you're saying. And again, the over-under this game is only 35. So I guess that lends to kind of what you're saying there. So, but I just think that this, you know, I'm skeptical of this Browns team. Their defense is unbelievable, but I just think this Broncos team, you know, we look at them in the beginning of the season, said they were in such a terrible position organizationally. They're kind of not now. They're still in the middle ground, but like they're, they're definitely a viable team. And I think they could win this game uh, in Denver for sure. Um, Next game, you. This is this year's your pick. Here we'll get into the. Uh, sorry, that was the first game, the four o'clock slate. Uh, you were on the Rams minus one. 
I'll side with you there with the Rams. Again, I think Cooper Cup being in or out definitely would might sway my opinion a little bit. It looks like he's questionable to play uh, right now. So, I mean, Sean McVay came out earlier this week and said that he, he, he had a chance to play, I believe. So, uh, you know, take do with that as you may. But I'll, I'll stick with the Rams here again. I think they're just a the better team. And truthfully, I really like the over-under this game. I think neither of these teams plays a lick of defense. And, and I think that both these teams are kind of in the position where you might as well just throw it down the field a hundred times because and something will work because uh, you really kind of lost seasons for both of them. I'll stick with the Rams here minus one, uh, so I'll I'll side with you there. Yeah. Next game, uh, divisional game, Chiefs on the road giving nine to the Raiders. Uh, uh, I'm just going to stick to the formula that I always do. This is a this is too big a number for the Kansas City Chiefs who. They, they don't. They don't show any signs of wanting to cover a number. They they don't do it. And you know, listen, this is a team that they could find themselves in the Super Bowl this year. No one would be shocked. But I think it's worth mentioning that maybe they've taken just the slightest bit of steps back. I think maybe it starts with Travis Kelsey, who's you know reportedly can you know pondering retirement. And I just feel like you know the way this offense ran back when it was Tyreek Hill, back when it was. Travis Kelsey in his prime. I'm not sure he is anymore. Um, I, I just, I don't know why. I don't, I don't see them covering a number now. This is kind of a feel-good Raiders team. I could see them winning by a touchdown, missing the number, kind of like they always do. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on it. I think nine's a lot, especially for uh, you know going on the road uh, against a team that just came off of a a, a primetime game that was. You know they ultimately lost, so maybe they, you know, they probably do win this game. I think if I, again, if I had to pick a side to to just straight win the game, I'm, I'm I'm picking the Chiefs. I think they do win this game. But again, you're right. The nine is just is just too big of a number for for me at least. It's it, I, you know this this Raiders team is obviously less talented, obviously not kind of in, in the same stratosphere as this Chiefs team. But nine's a big number. Nine is for the for an NFL team going on the road again off of a primetime game uh i'm gonna take the i'm gonna take the nine points for the raiders and run yeah i'm with you i think this this next game is you know has a game of the week potential yeah and, and that game the four the lone 430 sorry not the lone 430 game the last 430 game uh the bills heading to philadelphia philly minus three i'm all over philly I'm all over Philly. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to run away from them now. I mean, you know, people wanted to question them going into the Kansas City game. They won that one, too. Maybe they shouldn't have, uh, but they won that one, too. And I don't think the, the Bills pounding the Jets resolves them of, of all their issues that we've seen the past few weeks. I like Philly, too, especially at home. Yeah, I mean, and this Bills team, you mean to tell me that, you know, Josh Allen, you can you can say what you want about what he did against the Jets. You can say what you want about, you know, his previous performances. A week before that, they they have a terrible loss to the Broncos in which one could argue that Josh Allen essentially might have thrown them out of that game. Uh, I, I'm going to I think I, I like the Eagles and I think that this might be a game where, you know, the Bills kind of fall back to that 500 territory and. We're going to be here yeah. next week talking about, damn, well, if the Jets could have just won one more game here, want this could have just won this game, we could have really been in contention for uh, you know, some sort of spot in the AFC playoffs. Yeah, when the Bills are in, you know, smooth sailing mode like they were last week, you know, there's no limit to what they can do offensively. They could be the best offense in the NFL if they, you know, if they so please. Uh, this isn't going to be one of those games. So I, I, I'm going to ride with the Eagles, and I'm expecting – 
uh, to see more mistakes out of Josh Allen when, you know, you're going to have to make some plays, unlike the game against the Jets. Yep. And so we already covered the Monday night game with uh, the Bears and the Vikings, but let's get to the, we're both on the Bears money line straight up to win that game. Uh, But let's get to this Sunday night game uh, to kind of round us out here. The Ravens uh, going to play the Chargers, Los Angeles, Chargers plus three and a half. You know, every time I feel like I see the Chargers, they're always in this position where it's, you know, I kind of like them, but then at the end of the day, they're still the Chargers and they still find ways to lose games. I'm going to, I guess I'll fall for it again. Part of me likes the Chargers plus three and a half. Yeah, I thought about taking them as an underdog. I, I feel like they're always the fun team to pick because they can kind of, they can sort of do it all. They're just the most inconsistent team ever. And, you know, you look at a Ravens team who just lost Mark Andrews. You know, maybe he's not the focal point of the offense like we thought he would be and things like that. But I can see being excited about the Chargers here. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm going to ride with the team that, you know, has a legitimate defense on that field because I think they could both score points. You know, I, I think I even give the offensive edge to the Chargers, but I, I just think that the defenses are just, I, I think the Ravens is, is much better than the Chargers. Oh, I mean, yeah. The gap is definitely wide is what lopsided. I was going for there. De- definitely very lopsided there for sure. I think it definitely sways in the favor of, of the Ravens, but I don't know. I think that the Chargers are a team that. You, you, you might look back at, on the Ravens' schedule and, and you know, they're 8-3. and three. They're the, the the top of the AFC. They're, I think they're going to most definitely be there, at the, you know, towards the very end, if not the, the very end in terms of the Super Bowl. Uh, but I think, you know, the loss of Mark Andrews might need to change their offense a little bit. They, they have a couple pieces now that, I mean, do we really believe Odell Beckham is going to go out and have another 100-yard game? Uh, you know, no, he's, good. We, he's good to, like, a random like week thirteen next season. Then yeah, yeah, no, he's yeah. good. He's good. Yeah, you just gotta. He he did his share in his mind. He earned his check. Yep. But uh, yeah, no, I think could could the could the Chargers lull the Ravens into a shootout? Yeah, why not? You know how we always joke, and honestly, it's not even a joke, but we joke that the Jets' best player is Thomas Morstead, the punter. Yes. So, if you took Justin Tucker's career. And put him on the Jets. Now, he's been playing since 2012, so it's been a while. Over that course of time leading up to now, you went to MetLife Stadium. How many Justin Tucker jerseys do you think you would see there? Because there's no there's no Lamar. There's nothing like that. You know, everyone kind of bought their Jamal Adams jerseys, got rid of them. How many Justin Tucker Jets jerseys do you think there would be? Good question. Because um, he might he'd probably be like like the franchise's best player ever. You're you're probably right. You know, he he's I'd say a a very large portion of that. I mean, now I think I think within the last like two years or so, you get the sauce gardeners, you get the Garrett Wilsons. You you have some guys that that people wear jerseys of. But prior to them. Yeah, there was dark days. I think I think Justin Tucker on the Jets, like I think he would have hosted SNL. Yeah, he would he would have been he would run out with the flag week one. Yeah, yeah, like like Rogers did, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, good question. Um, so wow, a, a, a big episode for sure. Definitely a lengthy one. If you made it this far, thank you very much. Uh, a, a lot of, a lot of again, like you said, total opposite weeks this week to last week in terms of the NFL with with the, how closely uh, close these games are uh, in terms of spreads and whatnot. So uh, we're, we'll look to maintain our pick dominance for sure. 
Um, let's just hope for both locals that they, there's some competitive football to watch, you know, let's say in, in the second half of these games. Um, but man, uh, I'm, I'm excited again, an extra day of football this week with the game on Friday. Uh, it's, it's electric. And, and again, uh, it's really, thank- too, I mean, that you get all day Thursday football. Yeah. And then if you're a college football fan, you get, you get some monster games in college football on Saturday. It's a, it's a great weekend. I, I think Thanksgiving's very underrated of, of a week, I'll say. Yeah. Well, yeah. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. If you happen to be listening to this uh, and to your families, we appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the holiday. And I guess we will talk to you next week. Yep. And as always, uh, follow us on all of our socials. Uh, let's, let's try and be nice to Aunt Nancy during the Cowboy game this week. But, uh, as always, peace out. Thank you for listening.